welcome to an inquiry into freedom. And uh, you might be able to tell I am ill again. So that's what happens when you have uh, grandchildren. Oh, and they've probably all been vaccinated too, haven't they? <laughs> well, no. Oh, okay. She, she, so my daughter um, works at a daycare center and her, you know, my granddaughter goes there. And uh, they even told her when she start, first started working there, plan on being sick uh, a lot. Um, because it's just a giant scientific experiment <clears throat> with a bunch of sick people. Oh, it's a sick, sick little people. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, what we were talking about uh, with Putin, um, there's no question that he's, he's not the most uh, lovable man and that he's done some really bad things. But how do we know that he is responsible for the death of uh, Navalny? Just because our our people are saying he he murdered him, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's just it's a political charge. I mean, have we, have we sent people over there to do an investigation, and they determined that uh, his death was caused by Putin? I'm certain that the uh, investigation into Navalny's death by the United States government is even less thorough than the alleged Nashville bomber. Yeah, that, that the FBI killed, remember that guy? Oh, the Unabomber? No, the, the guy who was blown up in his own RV by oh, something yeah, 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 yeah. that blew up outside the RV. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we've, we have yet to really have any kind of in-depth reporting on that. Well, they so probably, I'm positive they've probably that obtained. they checked more into Navalny <laughs> than this other guy. You know, I mean, not that that's being sarcastic at all, but it's, you know. I imagine they're maybe on the same level. In other words, they've done shit about it. Yeah. Well, they probably uh, received some sort of dossier from someone Uh-oh. that uh, it pointed out that, you know, Putin colluded with a bunch of uh, KGB members and, and had the man killed. I, I And I'm being sarcastic here, and I'm just trying to figure out how you know, everything that happens bad in the United States is due to someone else, whether it be yeah. Putin or, uh, I don't know. Trump. <clears throat> Trump. Yeah, Trump yeah. Or, or some other country or some other leader somewhere in, in another place, and that our politicians have absolutely nothing to do with the chaos that happens here. Right. So, you know, Putin's responsible for high gas prices. He's, in, he's responsible for inflation. You know, he's responsible for uh, anyone that dies outside of the United States and under suspicious circumstances. Uh, yeah. You know, the guy, the guy is probably yeah. one of the, um, the most successful 
people when it comes to causing bad things than, than anyone ever throughout history. Because oh, he, he's yeah. responsible for everything. He beats Simon Legree. He beats uh, the, uh, what was that guy in Chaos, you know, the Get Smart series, the guy that ran Chaos. Never remember Chaos, don't you? Yeah. <clears throat> and the, cone, the Cones of Silence. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he's not a bad person. Don't get me wrong. Well, he could be. We've both said we don't know the guy. You know, I would rather not prejudge him. I mean, he's, you know, reputations and all. Sometimes they're well-earned. A lot of times they're not. Um, I would just rather, you know, not blame stuff on someone if I don't know that that's who did something. I yeah. mean... Yeah, you know, maybe he did. Maybe he is responsible. I don't know. Well, I'm not saying he's not, but I'm just saying how how do how do people in this country go around saying that he's responsible for the murder of someone who was in prison when they have absolutely no proof of that? Right. Yeah. It's just somebody saying that he did it. Again, that's kind of like what we're we're experiencing here in this country when it comes to you know. Um, not agreeing or having opposite uh, opinions or positions on something something that they they accuse you of whatever it is they can come up with and you're either canceled or you're in court well and, and it's libelous you know if if you have proof fine but otherwise you're just another asshole blowing out an opinion right yeah more or less and i wanted to to segue into the the three hundred and fifty five million dollars and and not being able to to do business in New York that with the judgment that was imposed upon Donald Trump um, because he falsified some financial documents. Uh, I have never heard of a, a similar case uh, with an outcome that extreme. Yeah, I've never even heard of anything. I mean, I, I've heard of, certainly heard of fraud. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you really want to charge fraud, then how about charging Obama for Obamacare? And you know, you if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. You know, that was an outright fraud. But who who, who um, gets this? The wasn't, he didn't. He, he didn't even perpetrate a fraud. In fact, a lot of this stuff, you know, this law was instituted. Um, after some of these things he was charged with, mm -hmm. and the, uh, they never even established that he was overclaiming, other than just the prosecutor's opinion and the judge's opinion, right. that he was overstating value. But the lenders never said that. Well, and they're the ones that's who the, matter. That's the key, right? Who does? Who's the victim? And who gets the money? Because well, without, a, without a victim, does the money go to the city of New York? And I isn't that coincidental that. that if they get the money, they're going to turn around and probably spend that on illegal immigration because they can't afford it. You know what I'm saying? It's just odd to me that 
You know, there's sure. no victim yeah. in the crime. There, there's no victim. It's a civil lawsuit brought up brought by the the local district attorney's office. But who's yeah. the victim? Because yeah, none of the pl- none of the places that he supposedly did business with, where he inflated his his net worth, have complained because they all got paid. You know, nobody was defrauded. And I sit here and I wonder, well, well, then what's he guilty of? You can't tell me that there's not businesses across the United States to inflate their numbers, to to get loans, to uh, you know, to bolster their assets, whatever it is that they need to do. Um, you can't tell me that people don't. Uh, fib on how much they make a year uh, to get loans or a credit card or whatever. Do we do we put all those people on trial? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, it makes no sense to me. I mean, I was a lender, so and is there? So I never gave a crap what anyone thought other than me. You know, I used to make sure that we had appraisals and everything. And every now and then I questioned an appraisal. And every now and then an appraiser convinced me something was worth more or less than I did. But the, the trick about being a, a successful lender is knowing so much about what you're doing that you know what something's worth or not. And you uh, and you know uh, the maximum amount of money you would want to loan on something. And a lot of times that's not what a quoted loan to value is or a loan to cost. So a lot of times it's lower than that. So especially if you're doing loans like in Trump's case where they're non-recourse loans. Uh, you very seldom have very highly leveraged loans uh, from banks in those situations. Now, you could have conduit money like uh, Lehman Brothers did or, well, there were all kinds of them that sold their loans through Wall Street. Those Those companies did all kinds of things that they should not have done. But Banks are are limited by regulatory measures, if not common sense. And then non-bank lenders like me, uh, we 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 had to rely on our own money. So we're not taking risks on something that uh, is unnecessary that we can't that we don't think we can ever recover on. I mean, I, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I never once had a foreclosure. Not yeah, once. you have. Yeah. But um, very few lenders can say that. Now, not, not one lender that testified ever stated that they thought that the values claimed on his financial statements were overstated. And Trump, Trump never issued anything on a financial statement. He never... He never overstated anything. That's all done by a corporate uh, uh, CFO. Yeah, you know he he didn't make up those financial statements. That's just not how it's done. So, you know, it's just a lie. It's uh, 
it's a fraud. It's definitely, uh, boy, I didn't, I never wanted to do business in New York anyway, but if I was still in business, I would redline uh, New York now. I would, there's no way I would ever do a loan in New York City. But, it, but can't, you, can't you say that uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and then some of the underwriters that, that caused the uh, crash of 2008 in the, um, the real estate sector, you know, housing, did exactly the same thing. They, they inflated people's uh, ability to purchase a home and, and, you know, deflated the value, and that's what caused the housing crash. I mean, aren't they guilty of, of doing the same thing, which is falsifying documents? Well, a number of them did. That's what you're saying there is a bit of an oversimplification, but you're not wrong. Um, the the real hazard that went on with the the uh, financial crash or lockup is actually a better term, but it it all locked up because all of those loans became. Uh, worthless right which is what i was saying about if i have a loan that i can't get paid on the if i've got a loan in my portfolio then i want to be able to sell it at any time i want to if i have a loan that i can't sell then it's not worth as much money because all loans are sellable but they're not going to be sellable for what you've got in them you know, if I've got a million dollars out on a piece of property and it's only worth a half a million, then the most I'm, I might get for it is, uh, well, maybe 250, 300,000, something like that. So I lose a ton of money. So it's not a liquid, it's not a liquid asset to that degree because you take a huge loss when you sell it just to get cash. Um, that's the danger if you do not do your proper analysis on uh, the value of a property. Well, but that's my point, is it, uh, so that they were writing loans to people that they knew were probably not going to be able to afford the, the payments. Well, and so they, even, even worse than that, they were requiring... They were requiring lenders to loan in certain areas of certain cities where they were dealing with uh, demographics where people did not make as much money. And I get the point. They were trying to get low-income people more uh, uh, ability to own a home. Right. As though owning a home is some magical way to, you know, th that's the old lie about owning a home is the American dream. Bullshit. Um, Owning a home is an investment. No, it's not a liquid asset. It's not an asset until the day you sell it. It's an expense until you sell it. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem when you have real estate people and people in the in the residential uh, business who do mortgages, who sell people on the idea of, oh, this will be the best investment you ever make. It could be. 
on the day that you sell it. Tiny bit. You know, I'm not saying it's a lie. It's that it's not completely true either. There are huge risks in that. And the, the younger generation now is learning that. They have already learned it. They're not, they're more averse to owning a home than any generation we've had. Um, and justifiably so. I mean, that, that's actually smart because the housing market's very overinflated and the uh, uh, mortgage rates are incredibly high. So why on earth would you buy a home right now if you're 23 years old and single? It, it you know, Rent the cheapest place you can until you can buy a duplex and then rent rent the other side, you know, something super simple. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the real estate business has sold a bill of goods to people for several decades now. And I'm not saying that they're not, that what they try to sell isn't true for a lot of people. It's not true for everyone. And when you have fools like Barney Frank out there gaming the system with credit underwriting so that they have to give, meaning they, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, et cetera, have to provide loans to people who are not qualified in the name of being able to get more black people and more Hispanic people or more, more, under, uh, more minority people in general, loans to buy a home that is just that's bad thinking because then you're making a judgment based on something other than someone's character and if you remove character from the equation then you're not loaning money you're gambling but so so my question even is, you, even even your dog agrees with yeah me. yeah so what's my my question is what's the difference like it, it it's Maybe you have to you have to come to the conclusion that it was intentional. Like they knew what they were doing. They knew that these were going to be, you know, high risk loans, and and I, I don't think they anticipated the level. I think they went way above and beyond, and and that's what caused a lot of the the housing. Uh, that's what caused the housing crash and a lot of the the financial issues that we faced at that time but I, i'm just trying to i'm just i guess i'm just trying to figure out how they come to the conclusion that he did something so egregious and so um and hurt so many people that he has to pay 300 and you know let's just say 350 million dollars uh, and him and his kids can't do business in New York for three years. What what made them reach that conclusion, considering that there was no victim, that uh, this is not a, an, a, a practice that doesn't take place throughout the country? Because like you were saying, if I, if I go to a bank and say, listen, I need $75,000 to... <clears throat> construct a new uh, piece of equipment. They may look at me and say, well, can't you do it cheaper? But, but no, I can't because I know what this, 
I know what it takes to construct one of these pieces of equipment. Right. Um, no, I can't. But lo and behold, I, you know, I inflated that number because I want to have a certain percentage of, you know, hey, I need this, I forgot about this, blah, blah, blah. But I do it for 55000 Do I get in trouble for that? Because I inflated that number? I knowingly inflated that number because I, I, I really don't know what, what kind of trouble I'm going to run into, what kind of things I've forgotten about. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, well, when, when, you're, when you're building something from scratch, you're always running into, oh, I'm, I need this, I need that, I didn't consider this, I forgot about that. So you have to have a little bit of room to play with. Well, yeah, you're, now you're getting into FF&E, and that's different than real estate. So with respect to construction of a building, yes, it's true. And I used to do loans based on loan to cost. I would control, you know, the, the expenditures that went out, you know, to the various trades and make sure that they're signing lien waivers. Uh, and if the project was a hundred thousand dollars, let's say to, uh, they're renovating the inside of their office building. And I have the loan on that too. And I decide to give them a temporary construction loan. And then we're going to refinance the whole thing into whatever the new balance is. Okay. I did a lot of that because a lot of times I could do it and you wouldn't even have to come out of pocket for anything. So, um, and you get the expertise of someone who does it for a living, watching over your shoulder and making sure that you don't have some electrician who files a lien waiver on you uh, or files a lien on you claiming something that wasn't true. So, you know, and, and that's just something that happens all the time. You don't know what you're doing, even if you do know what you're doing. So um, at any rate, that was what we did with real estate construction. With respect to equipment, FF&E, it's kind of the same way, really. If you're, if you're uh, someone who, uh, let's say I had a, uh, uh, an auto body uh, and a speed shop that was a customer of mine and I had to let it on their build. And he wanted to build a, a, a new uh, frame uh, I can't forget the proper name for it, but at any rate, uh, it was going to be, uh, it was a steel frame that he could put Porsches on because the way the frames uh, on German cars are, you have to have a special frame builder. And it's a piece of equipment that holds things to spec. And he was one of the only people in the country that had one. And he wanted to do another one, a new one, so that he could keep doing the old collector cars, but could also handle new business. So all the Porsche dealers, the Mercedes dealers, et cetera, in a certain state and surrounding states, and the Porsche racing team, by the way, sent everything to him because he was an expert at it. So he wanted to build a new piece of equipment instead of buying one from Germany. <laughs> and uh, saved his ass on a ton of money. 
And he thought, I think it's going to be about this much, but you know how things go. Sometimes you run over and all, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Totally. You know, you think it's good. Let's say your example, a hundred thousand, maybe it wasn't too far off in that case. Um, but uh, yeah, we said, well, we'll loan you X number of dollars and let's, let's pad it, let's say 20%. So that you've got some overage in case you run into some new spec or you run into something else that maybe you want to add to it or get at the same time. So let's just, it's easier to approve things now than it is to try to dribble it into me. So let's just approve it all in one fell swoop. And if you don't need all the money, then we won't disperse it. Yeah. That's how we would handle your question. Well, so that's going why in I way more to... detail than you probably want. No, to it's just not for the because of our listeners. No, yeah. because here's the the truth. I don't know a whole lot about that. That's why I'm glad I have you on, uh, because you that's you know part of your expertise and uh, mm -hmm. what you've done throughout your life. Where there's probably other people like me that don't know those kind of things and and want to know. Maybe they have questions about it and, and wonder, you know, why, how did they reach this conclusion? How did they reach this specific number? And how did they come up with, you can't do business for three years? You know, how did we get here? What, what's the, what's the proof of, you know, because this guy said he was guilty from the beginning. I don't even know why they went ahead with a trial. Well, that's why Trump has filed a counterclaim. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody knows that every every uh, charge that's been brought against him, whether he, you know, if he wins, great. If he loses, he'll he'll appeal it. But I heard something very strange today on uh, a. Um, a case that's going through the courts, and it doesn't have to do with Trump, but it but it has to do with the Supreme Court. And I don't remember off the top of my head what the subject was, but it was something about uh, our freedoms. And the guy said the Supreme Court probably uh, will not address this issue. And I thought to myself, well, if it... If it works its way through the system and reaches the Supreme Court, there's a reason why it reaches the Supreme Court. And for them to say, well, we're just not going to hear the case, that's a dereliction of their duty. They're, they're, they're not performing uh, the job as they promised they would, and they kick it back down. Well, the reason that that it got to them in the first place was because none of those courts could agree on anything. So you're going to kick it back down to the courts that didn't agree? Or, or can't make a decision and say this, this probably needs to, to go to the highest level? But then the highest level says, oh, by the way, uh, we, we just don't even want to hear it. I, I don't understand that part of our system. And so... You know, for people like me, when it comes to real estate and, and how this, this case uh, concluded, we need to hear 
you know, from people like you that have personal experience in these areas because we're sitting here wondering what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't comment about the Supreme Court without knowing what on earth that case was about. But yeah, I just heard yeah, it. It's hard for me to yeah, it's hard for me to comment on the New York case because I don't know anything about that statute. That if is it a city? It's it's always sounded to me more like it is a city uh, law than a. Uh, state law, but it might be. It's like, why is it only prosecuted in New York City? Um, you know, there is just something really stinks about it all and always has. And I think it it gets overturned, but it's like, so what? You know, damage has already been done. And by the way, would you really want to be on the other end of a counterclaim by Donald Trump right now? I mean, if he wins that case, how much money might he get from New York City? He could bankrupt the city. Yeah, for sure. For doing something for doing something that's unconstitutional and violating his rights and and uh not providing due process, knowingly not providing due process. I mean, uh you know, of course I'm throwing a lot of what ifs out there, but if, if anyone could be successful in suing the city of New York, it'd be him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it's hard for me to comment much on it because it's just, it's like they completely made this thing up. And they, they got a judge on board who was going to back them up no matter what. They're probably surprised they even won. Yeah, he is kind of a goofball. I I mean, anytime he walked in the courtroom, you're probably, you know, wondering, are they going to, when are they going to start the Benny Hill uh, (laughs) theme music? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just nothing about it that that sounds right to me. It's just shocking to me that it's been allowed to go on for so long. And, uh, I, it just blows my mind. So, uh, I, and I'm not the only one. I mean, there's an awful lot of people who, you know, they're attorneys in New York and they can't explain it. Yeah. So, all I can answer is questions about, you know, the real estate valuation piece of it. And it doesn't sound to me like there's anything improper at all. And man, let Just me tell you something. If if Mar-a-Lago is not is worth what they claim it's worth, I want to buy it tomorrow. Well, because then I'm going to turn the, around and sell it for about seven times more than what I just paid for it. Yeah, and and who cares what a judge in New York thinks a property in Florida is worth? It's completely <laughs> right. it's irrelevant. Yeah, his opinions are irrelevant. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> Uh, it's a, almost as irrelevant as mine, except I'm an expert enough to where I could actually be called to testify about that because I know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not this freaking judge. I mean, he probably doesn't know what anything's worth, except, I don't know, uh, maybe some escort service. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but at any rate, um, you know, 
I don't see why he would even give a crap what Mar-a-Lago's were. You know, it's it's outside his jurisdiction. He's not loaning money on it anyway. Uh, he's not an expert in uh, in real estate anyway. He's not an expert in Florida statutes and what makes Florida. What are the lending risks in Florida that are different than than some other state um, or advantages? Uh, you know, the, the guy's a, a complete moron, a buffoon. Yeah. So, uh, but at any rate, it's the only people who whose opinion is relevant on on value on the value that is claimed on Trump's business. Let's say Trump's business filed a financial statement <clears throat> stating that X property was worth Y. And it, let's say the example is Mar-a-Lago. Okay, well, then the only person whose opinion of value is relevant is the lender because they're the one extending credit based on that value. No one else. So unless the lender is secured by uh, that property or secured by the cash flow that comes out of that property, then anyone else's opinion is completely irrelevant because uh, I mean, I can, let's say he came to me for a loan, wanting to borrow money to buy a golf course. Okay, well, I'm going to look at his financial statements and everything. And, and I might say, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would give that much value to Mar-a-Lago. But, but I don't really care because, you know, that's all locked up in a single asset. <clears throat> we call them single asset, single purpose entities. So it's a partnership, uh, uh, LLP, limited liability partnership. It's something that I can't get a hold of the cash flow from it anyway because I'm not the secured creditor. Someone else is. Deutsche Bank is, uh, Liberty Savings is, whoever. Uh, the Teamsters Union Pension Fund. Uh, whoever is the lender on that. So my opinion of value is completely irrelevant, even though I'm considering giving him a loan on a golf course. Because I'm not securitizing his asset. All I want to know is, you know, how substantial is this guy? And what's his average loan to value look like? And what is his overall debt service coverage ratio? You know, does he is he making uh, twice the amount of cash that he needs to to pay his debt service down, which in his case that might be an accurate number because he never maximized his his loans on his properties. He didn't put as much. In other words, he didn't put as much debt on them as he could. So, you know, I'm just looking at his his overall cash flow. But how does and, the judge uh, how does the judge get away with telling him he's got 30 days to pay that when it hasn't even gone through the appeal process? What what's the rush? Well, I don't know the I don't know the terms of the statute, but what what'll happen is that 
uh, he'll Trump will get granted a delay or oh the judge they, denied it that's what I'm saying he gave him he well, gave him 30 days he 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 appealed uh, you know asked for an extension and the judge said no you've got 30 days yeah well he's gonna get an he's gonna get an approval from a higher level and he'll he should be able to do a bond or something but uh you know, it's just incredible to me. I mean, it's just, it's a, one of the more outrageous miscarriages of justice that is not in the criminal system that I've ever even heard of. Uh, it's just really preposterous. And yet it, it can happen almost any day to almost anyone. That's how bad the court systems are. You wouldn't believe it unless you're there. The courts are really bad. Well, I mean, uh, just based on some of the things we've talked about, and one of the the things that I brought up with my wife going to a traffic court, and they said you're you're not allowed in the courtroom. The hell you're not. Mm -hmm. I mean, where do these people get off thinking that they have that much power that they can they can trample on your rights at any given time, and because they have a title or a position that they think gives them some sort of godlike power, that they can just make up things as they go. And this is the part well, of our show that, that really resonates and is really important to me because we're talking about our civil rights, our, our God-given rights, the, the, the rights that the Constitution laid out for all of us. Yet these people don't give a damn ab about any of that. No, it's they like have the court. These, they have the these. courts only care about their own rights, as if the court has a right to receive money within thirty days. Well, sorry, you don't. The court doesn't have any rights at all. Um, I mean that that in itself can be legit. Can be. Uh, you know, you can file suit over that. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's beyond the pale that it is that bad. But um, for our purposes on the podcast, it's mainly relevant because it can happen to any of us. Yes, for sure. That's why I said, why, yeah. why, aren't we, why aren't we seeing more of these cases across the country if that's the precedent? Yeah, well... The most most jurisdictions would never even consider doing something this outrageous. Um, well, yeah, you have to you have the, to realize we're talking about New York. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I told you once I was involved in something where the judge was well, the, no, the uh, yeah, the judge was a uh, uh, an elected Republican. And the uh, guy I was suing was the chairman of the Republican Party in that particular county. And I didn't find out about this until after the case was over. I mean, I won, but he made some screw, screwball decisions in there that made, made it difficult for me to get as much as I was entitled to, considering this guy had breached a contract. You know, it just made no sense at all. And then I got to realizing oh, this is why, you know, he's politically beholden to these people. Then I file a complaint with the state of Texas and they don't give a crap. 
It's like, really? You don't want to pull these people's licenses or this judge or, oh my God. I was like, how corrupt are you? Yeah, they're all in it together. Well, yeah. So can you imagine? And, and I'm, I'm a theoretically a white guy with all my white privilege. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're a black guy and you live in Dallas and you're trying to get, get a contract enforced? And you've got uh, a judge that's prejudiced against black people, or um, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a criminal uh, case, and it's like, oh, you look just like the other got black guys in the in the lineup, you know, look guilty to me, you know, uh, yeah, you get uh, thirty years to life. Okay, it's happened for decades. It's just that it's so seldom that you see something this blatant that comes along that says, wow, this is really screwed up. But it is really screwed up. And almost every level of courts that we have is screwed up. Mm. I mean, this is it. This is exceptionally screwed up. But I got to tell you, someone who had to deal with courts all the time and legal contracts all the time, it's just part of business. I mean, I probably should have just gone ahead and gotten a a law license, but it's just ridiculous how bad it is, how incompetent these judges are. Um, A lot of them are judges because they're they're no good as lawyers. Um. Yeah, and that that was a, a shocking thing to learn for me because I grew up thinking, oh, these judges, uh, you know, they had successful careers and uh, people liked them and they made good decisions and yada, yada, yada. And that, that used to be the case. But as courts got bigger and bigger and more and more cases got into the system, they needed more and more judges. And boy... The, the truth of the matter is there's only a certain percentage of people in every profession who are really good. Uh, and that number usually tops out at 5 to 10%. And competent is 20%. The other 80% of the people in that business are no more competent than just hiring a new timer. I mean, you, you've probably seen that in your own business. Yeah. I mean... Granted, you have to know a little more about what you're doing in yours than some other businesses, but overall, that that statement generally runs true. It's kind of like a corollary to the Parados rule. Um, so, you know, not not all these judges are competent, and and many of them should not be on the bench. And this guy in in Trump's case should not be on the bench. He should not be a lawyer. He should not have a license to practice law. Uh, It should probably be illegal for him to even be in a courtroom. He's that mentally incompetent. Well, I think think the guy that uh, refuses to let people into his courtroom doesn't belong on the bench. Well... I don't disagree. Here's here's a case that uh, an example that I was gonna intercede with, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but now this is a good time. Um, we were talking about that case in Kansas City. 
and the fact that isn't it interesting how these people haven't been identified yet and et cetera, et cetera. Remember? Oh, I think I sent you a copy of a press release, didn't I? Uh, if it was, to, if it was today, uh, I haven't looked at my email today. No, 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 no. It was, I don't know. Two or three days ago, maybe. I don't know. No, I think But at any, at any rate, the, what was going to happen here was that, you know, there was a, an announcement put out by the uh, prosecutor, uh, the prosecuting attorney there in Jackson County, that uh, we have a press conference this afternoon that uh, due, to, due to limited space, only media will be allowed to attend, which happens a lot. These judges, they only have media there. As if media has some right to more, a superior right to be there to than the public. Because theoretically, I guess, the media represents the public. I, I really don't believe that's true at all. But I'm like, well, why not just do the press rotating person of the day where one person from the media gets to be there and the rest of the the rest of the seats go to the public. You know, I think that's a, a better thing to happen. So at any rate, Jackson County, they, they had this uh, press conference and all, and, uh, you know, the they identified the two adults that were charged. Uh, the two uh, ju juveniles haven't been identified yet, but... Um, I mean, publicly identified, yeah. Still no booking photos. Um, but at least we know their names. But it's like, you know, they went out of their way to conceal certain demographic information about these people. And unless you know what you're doing and know how to do your research, you still don't know because they're that interested in concealing things from everybody <clears throat> for whatever reason. It's just impossible to be honest and straight with us. So, you know, and here that's from a prosecutor, not even a judge. So, you know, what, what right does the judge have to keep the public out of the, out of the courtroom or out of the, or what right does the prosecutor have the right to keep the public out of a press conference? Yeah, it's not the same as like a you know keeping yeah. a news uh, channel out or you know uh, journalists or whatever. And even then, I mean, w w what do you have to hide? I mean, well, what yeah, she's a she's a she's a county official uh, elected in the county, right? And she's telling us that people who live in Jackson County are not allowed to, to be in court that day in the, in the court that they own, the courthouse. Uh, no, that's bull. Sorry. That, <laughs> yeah. you know, who, that's you bull. You own it? Really? Uh, can I see the receipts where you've, you know, paid for, mm -hmm. for the building to right. be constructed? Right. Yeah. But yet, but yet, people allow them to get away with it and reelect. You know, they 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 vote for them again. 
Right. I don't get it. Um, so, um, I don't know if you heard about this story. And we're all about the Constitution, right? But uh, two parents in, in Indiana who happen to be Catholic... Mm. This is yeah. the this is the case. This is the case that I was talking about. Now that I, I bring this up of of uh the Supreme Court. They're appealing to the Supreme Court um after the state removed their children from their home for refusing to use the child's preferred name and pronouns. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I don't even understand why this is even an issue and, and why they took the, the child away from the parents because there's no, uh, charges of abuse or neglect or, or anything. Um, is that the one the Supreme Court kicked back? Well, they're saying, uh, so, <clears throat> So an investigation was launched into this, this case in 2021. A state court eventually removed the child from, from the home and did not return the child despite all, all allegations of neglect and abuse eventually being dismissed by the courts. Uh, so, you know, the parents are saying this is what every parent should be afraid of. Um, we love our son and wanted to care for him, but the state of Indiana robbed us of that opportunity by taking him from our home and banning us from speaking to him about gender. Oh, Lord. Um, so they expect, expressed optimism that the Supreme Court would agree to consider their case and provide a ruling that would prevent other American parents from facing the nightmare they faced. Uh, uh, you know, keeping a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs even when they admit uh, there's no abuse or neglect, is wrong, and it's against the law. Uh, the court should take this case and make clear that other states can't take children away because of ideological disagreements. Um, and again, it's one of those things where if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. So they're hoping that the Supreme Court will decide on this but speculation is that the supreme court won't even hear the case wow they'll just kick it back down to the lower courts but this is a fundamental right as a parent you don't you don't just get to take someone's children away from them without evidence of abuse and neglect or you know whatever mm -hmm. just because I mean, this is a child who is still under the care of his parents. Do we start to take children away from, from parents when they ground them from their Xbox or their PlayStation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Do we, do we take children away from their parents when they're they're told, okay, you know, you got in a fight in school, and that's not uh, that's not a good thing to be doing. So you don't get to use your cell phone for a week. 
I mean, it, is that what we're going to come down to? Because you're supposed to be the one that implements, uh, you know, um, discipline. Now, it's not yeah, like they were beating the hell out of him because they didn't, you know, they didn't want to call him instead of Tim. They didn't want to call him, you know, Sandra. They didn't beat the hell out of him and stick him in a closet without food for a week. Um, why not? <laughs> but I mean that you know that's considered abuse, right? It is. And they didn't. I mean, you know, corporal punishment usually is well, you the gotta, best form of punishment. You have to yeah, you got to recognize how much older I am. I mean, no, this, no, I get this it. whole topic is so beyond my my ability to understand it. I mean, it's just. There's nothing about it that makes any sense to me. No, but w when no. we're talking about constitutional rights, th this is like one of the biggest rights, offenses of your rights that you could even think of. Yeah, anything to do with a kid. I mean, let's let's just take away the the whole contentiousness of the the gender BS for a moment and just back away from that and do a higher altitude of anything that does anything that has anything to do with raising a kid. The government doesn't have any business being involved in unless there is some clear cut case of abuse that they're, they're abusing their obligations as a parent. You know, they have rights as a parent and Granted, the kid has some rights, too, and, and those basically become obligations that a parent has or parents have. Unless they're abusing their obligations or disabusing their obligations, then they're, uh, it's none of the damn government's business. But for so, me, yeah, so exactly. So for me, if I have a 8-year-old boy, and he walks up to me one day and says, Dad, um, I know you named me Sam, but I want to be known as Samantha. My response is, you're not old enough to, first of all, don't make any demands for me. Mm -hmm. Second of all, until you reach an age where you can legally change your name, you're Sam. Sorry, buddy. And, and that should be okay. There's what, what law says that I can't do that? Well, I think there's that old Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the closest anything in my generation that I can come up with. And uh, maybe you call the kid Sue instead of seeing it. You know, it's like, okay, well, you don't not, like that? Okay. I'm just not going to do it. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not either. And I'm... Uh, you know, so anyone who wants me to do something stupid has got, uh, I do, I do stupid things on my own. I don't need other people telling me to do stupid things. I'll do stupid things on my own. Thank you very much. And stay the hell out of my business because I do something, at least one stupid thing every day, all by myself. I don't need someone else telling me. So, you know, but regardless of whether it's it's uh the gender thing or it's 
staying up too late, not doing your homework, whatever. You know, you're not you're not doing something and the parent wants it changed. Or you are doing something and the parent wants it changed. You know, unless there is uh, some overriding purpose for the government being involved in that, they need to stay the hell out. Now, this is where the whole politicization, politicization of, of certain things are, where, you know, the political uh, powers that be are trying to elevate this whole gender nonsense to where they're a, a protected class of some sort. And they get treated differently uh, as though they have different constitutional rights or their constitutional rights are elevated or something. But as long as the parents in charge of it, then I think the, I don't think the government has any right to be there. And I think that to me, I, we, we've talked about these cases before where something is going on in the system, whether it's the courts or anywhere else that uh, people's rights are trampled upon them. And sometimes you need something extrajudicial going on. Like, I, I remember we talked once about the case that I helped uh, convince someone to turn themselves in who had been abusing a, a girl, underage girl. And... Uh, he had been abusing her and uh, didn't want to show up for court, left the state, went to another state. It wasn't illegal in the state he was in, and the court could not get him to show up, make an appearance for his trial. So, you know, I went out of my way and made a trip and got him to show up. So... You know, sometimes things that happen outside the system need to happen. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that a militia needs to be involved, but, you know, uh, you know, they used to have militias or uh, uh, what do you call them? The, oh, the lynch moms <laughs> where they try to, well, you know, every, every other John Wayne movie has something about a lynch mob, right? Where they're trying to get the guy out of the, jail so they can lynch them or whatever and you know i don't necessarily believe in that stuff but there are clear-cut cases of abuse by the system not of the system but by the system and this sounds like a case that just like trump where it's an abuse by the system on someone and if that is the case then i don't know what else a person is supposed to do you know, sit there and take it while the government has possession of your child is trying to teach them all kinds of things that uh, you disagree with, that everyone else disagrees with. Um, and I mean, clearly the kid has already screwed up. And, yeah. and, and now they're going to put him into a system that, that is known to screw people up, uh, you know, foster care or whatever. Um. And, and this kid will be screwed up even more when at least they had, regardless of whether they agreed with, you know, because of their, their religious beliefs, they cared about and loved their son. 
it's again, it's not like they were locking him up in a closet, not feeding him, and you know, had him chained to a, a, a his bedpost or anything like that. They, there was no no proof of abuse or neglect in any way, shape, or form. The only thing they refused to do was was refer to him as pre- his preferred name and pronoun. Mm-hmm. And and where and, did and he guess get what? the idea that he wanted a per- a preferred name and pronoun? Where did he get that? Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. But even mm-hmm. even beyond that, uh, I have a right not to. I have a right to choose. So if you walked up to me, I don't know, in public, because we've seen videos of people that do this. You need to you need to call me, ma'am. I'm I'm a I'm a man. I'm a woman. When they're clearly a man, I have the right to refuse to do that. Just as much as you have a right to to, you know, assume, or or, I guess you know, demand. I mean, you don't have the right to demand me to do anything. let alone a child. So if the Supreme Court decides not to rule on this case, uh, this is bad. And, and the only ruling that they can, can come up with is that you need to give this child back to their parents. I mean, if... If abortion is a decision between a woman and her doctor, then then a gender of a child is between their them and their parents. The government getting involved in these type of things is not a good idea. And that's just my opinion on that. Well, yeah, it, it it's getting into it's being made into a psychological issue when it's really a political issue and it shouldn't be though well it shouldn't be a political issue not as far as like the federal government being involved and and, and the only reason that the federal government is involved is because a a state court basically stripped the parents of, of their rights over this child. So when it comes to having to go to the Supreme Court, yes, but we shouldn't have legislation saying if you don't if you don't agree to go along with what your child prefers, then then we're we're gonna step in. Well who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. you? You don't have the right to tell me what to do with my family. Unless I'm unless I'm doing something criminal, so I think that that when it comes to, you know, like you were saying, uh, transgender or LGBTQ or whatever, think that they deserve different rights than we do, or don't have the same rights. I'd like to know. I'd like to know. Uh, an example of that. I'd like to know what right that I have as a straight white male that a transgender person doesn't have. Now, I'm not saying that that there are people out there that act against them. I could care less what you do. 
You know, I have, I have a lot of friends that are gay. A lot. I, I don't care. But if you were like to walk into my house and, and walk up to my child and start, you know, trying to say, hey, you know, this is the kind of lifestyle that you, you, you should, you know, consider. <laughs> I'd be like, no, yeah. wait a minute. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. I, I don't tell people what happens in my bedroom. Yeah, the next thing you get here is is the is me racking the slide. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. That's where my tolerance of that goes. So if yeah. I don't want my friends, <laughs> like I had a friend who used to uh, uh, smoke pot a lot, and I didn't have any problem. That that was his choice. I have no business trying to tell him what to do. And I said, you can do that all day, every day, whenever you want to. But when you start to bring that around my kids, we're mm-hmm. going to have a problem. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Not, not because smoking pot is such a bad thing. I mean, that's an up to interpretation and your own perspective, right? Do what you want. I don't care. It's your life. If you want to smoke crack, do what you want. But when you well, start a lot to- of people do smoke pot in, in front of their kids. And it's like, I don't know that it's my business to approve or disapprove. I, I don't approve. But I don't approve of, of people smoking cigarettes in front of their kids either. So... No, but that's your... Nothing, but that's nothing your- to, yeah, it's nothing to do with whether or not, you know, smoking cigarettes or marijuana and influencing the kids sort of thing. It's just, I grew up uh, having to drive across the country with the father who filled the the car full of cigarette smoke as as we were driving across the country and none of the rest of us could breathe. And that's not a healthy thing. So I don't care if it's marijuana smoke or cigarette smoke. I just don't think it ought to happen in front of kids. So I'm not arguing specifically on marijuana, just so people understand. No, no, me either. I'm just saying. But but I don't have a problem with people using it. Mm -hmm. And like you say, if you want to use, if you want to shoot up heroin or morphine. (laughs) Right. You know, I I really don't care. As long as you don't run your car into me on it. Or steal any of my stuff to pay for your habit. Yeah, or or expect me to pay for anything that you need in the way of healthcare over it. Right. You know those those three exceptions definitely are in play, but otherwise, uh, I'm okay. You're okay. You know, I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. I totally. We're both. We both do that. In fact, I think most people are like that. I agree. You know. There's a lot of folks that can't keep their nose out of other people's business, and we all know people like that. No, but I think Every, those of us that agree with that and have the same kind of, uh, you know, that are like-minded when it comes to those kind of things are sick and tired of hearing that, you know, we're responsible for their their oppression and, and uh, you know, you're not accepting and, and we should get we should get better treatment or... You know, we should be recognized more than, you know, what the, than the other group. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I recognize everyone. I just don't recognize your, your uh, 
your demands. Uh, you can't demand something from me. I'm a free person. Now, yeah, I, I I'm have okay. my own. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm fine with... Uh, I support all kinds of perversions. I just don't support yours. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> well, I mean, there, that that's the definition of freedom, is it not? It is, right? Yeah. I, I only get excited about the things, the perversions that I like. Yeah, well, right? and, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> you know, I... I don't understand how these type of things even occur. Well, you know, how, to how, how, how is a judge in a state or a city, how do they feel at the end of the day when they've made a decision like this and have taken a child away from their parents who by all accounts have done nothing physically or mentally uh, as far as abuse goes or neglect. And they just decide, well, because you don't recognize that this young person who could be one of those people that needs some mental uh, help, I mean, there's no mention of that at all. There's no mention of this kid being psychologically evaluated. But because the parents simply don't agree to call them by the, the uh, opposite name of what they gave them at birth, their legal name, whatever's mm -hmm. on your birth certificate is your legal name. You have, to, you have to apply to change your name. You can't do that as a child. It's not the parents' fault, right? But how do they, how do they look themselves in the mirror and say that was a good decision? That child is better off away from their parents because they decided they didn't want to call them, uh, you know, whatever, and recognize them and, and go out and buy them high heels and dresses and all that other stuff because they're too young to really make those decisions. And while you live under their roof and they are your legal guardian, you do as they say. Like I said, if I, if I want to take my son's PlayStation away from him for punishment, does that mean that he can call the police? They come and they take him out of my house, and I have to go to court in front of a judge, and that judge says you violated that child's right by taking away their PlayStation because they did something wrong or that you disagreed with? I mean, I, that's never happened. But if you let things like this occur... And decisions like this are being made. Who's to say that that's not the next thing that happens? Well, this is a actually an interesting case to talk about when we get into um, grievances and constitutional. That's what challenges. I thought. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, because uh, government should not be involved in this. Well, let's just take it to another level, and it'll take me a couple of minutes to to get this point out. Go for it. But the let's just take it under equal protection under the law, okay? You're you're griping about due process right now, which I, I'm totally on board with. Like, you know, we, we, we're like preaching to the choir here because I agree. So let's just, let's go in away from 
due process and two, equal protection under the law and equal application of the law. So at this point, we, you know, the, the, the theoretical family here is the, the mom and dad are responsible for their kid till they're 18. Uh, the, they're responsible for good things and bad things. They've got to show, make sure they're at school. If they don't, they're in trouble. You know, uh, if the kid uh, shoots someone with a gun, then they're liable. If uh, whatever, they're responsible for the kid. Now, when the government steps in, and says, okay, well, uh, we don't like how you're handling this child. We're going to take the child away from you and, and raise this child the way we want to. Okay, let, let's forget about the due process there and history and tradition and breaking out families and things. Let's just purely look at equal protection under the law. Shouldn't the city or county or state, whoever the government entity is, don't they then become liable for everything to do with that kid? The people personally and or their offices, shouldn't they then be liable if the kid, uh, let's say, uh, doesn't show up for school, just doesn't do their homework? Does, shouldn't the parent's financial burden be relieved and the government has to pay for all of that wouldn't that just be fair i think so um and it seems like if you uh file for due process and equal protection that these these people who are going to the supreme court ought to be looking at the financial aspect of it too because their kid was taken away from them without it sounds to me like very good due process, but also where's the equal protection? Um, where is the the statement that the state, I guess, is it the state of Illinois? I, I think it is. The state of Illinois has taken possession of their child. Indi so Indiana. <clears throat> Indiana, okay. So I, I know in Colorado, uh, someone I know, their their kid is in the in the possession of the, the state of Colorado, and it basically mutually agreed. They they were they were adopted from uh, the Soviet, from Russia, and the mother was an alcoholic, and they have some sort of a mental thing that has uh, manifested itself as a teenager. The brain isn't maturing properly, and they're just a danger to themselves and society. I mean. It's unfortunately this formerly great kid from, you know, five years or so ago is basically going to need to be institutionalized the rest of his life. So at least as far as I know for now, his parents are still flipping the bill for that. But I think if once the state takes uh, possession, I think the state ought to be responsible personally. Just like I think if the state says thou shalt not have an abortion, I think the state gets to pay for raising that child. Uh, just my own opinion. 
But I think once you impose something on someone, then you get to be the one who's financially responsible. Um, so I don't know why I felt the need to throw that last one in there, but it's the same principle that if someone decides to insert their, their nose into my business and affects my life, then they get to pay for it. Um, either by <laughs> me breaking their nose or they get to pay for the, the cost of the kid or what have you. So let's say that the, the kid is taken into the state's possession, Indiana, and uh, they're, they're coddled to death and they uh, want to have a, a trans operation and have these drugs and uh, they have, they developed psychological problems they didn't have before. And uh, they turn out like one of these school shooters that's been around, uh, geez, it's kind of become common now in the last three or four years where we've had these trans people committing mass sh shootings. Um, and then they're kind of hidden up, hidden or closed shut up for a little while and then it comes out, yeah, they were on these psycho psychotropic drugs and going through transitional, what have you. And let's say this kid, you know, that these people have uh, winds up shooting up a school and killing people and stuff. Okay. Who's responsible financially? Whose fault is it? That it all happens. Is it still the parents who who was were denied being a parent, and the state became the parent, and the state allowed all that stuff to happen? Not the parents. Shouldn't the state then be responsible? Isn't that an interesting constitutional question? Absolutely. And we all know what the answer is. I mean, if you take if you, if the state takes your child, uh, they assume full custody, and that what happens from then on is not the parent's responsibility. I mean, how could it be when you have no say so in what's going on? Mm -hmm. You don't you don't know what like you said you don't know what they're doing with that kid. Are they are are they now giving him? Uh, you know, hormone treatments and and drugs and all this other stuff because that's how he feels without the parents' consent. So if you don't have consent, then literally you really don't have a child anymore. Right. I mean, in 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 essence, you do, but as far as custody and and responsibility, you don't you don't have that anymore. Yeah. Possession's nine-tenths of the law. The state <laughs> right? has possession. Yeah. So, you know, I, I agree with you that the state's responsible. But the the fact of the matter is, under law, they cannot be sued. The state cannot be sued for that like a parent could. Which, which shows how screwed up the system is. Well, it's a denial of equal protection. If you and I have kids in that school that got shot up by this theoretical kid, 
and our kids are permanently damaged for the rest of their lives, then we ought to be able to recover damages from the state or from the parents or from the school, whoever's responsible. But all those people are, are protected by immunity or, or, you know, there are laws that say you can't. So I thought about, I was thinking about, and this is completely off the subject that we're on. But after we were, were talking, for some reason I thought about, um, you know, what's happening to, to Donald Trump. If Joe Biden ends up losing uh, re-election, is that when people like Kyle Rittenhouse are going to start suing him because he can't be sued as because he's in office? Uh, I've often wondered why Kyle Rittenhouse did not file uh, defamation against him uh, because basically... If you compare the two instances with uh, Sandman and the uh, the guy playing the drums, the Indian guy, and Sandman suing all these news organizations and, and so on and so forth, and he wins, uh, he had no restrictions because you know they didn't have any kind of immunity or anything. But I think what Joe Biden did to Kyle Rittenhouse, even Kamala Harris, was was ten times worse than what the media did to Sandman. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't sue him when it was. Yeah, I mean, he was just a private citizen. Biden was just a private citizen at that time. I don't know why he wasn't just sued. Anyone who said anything should have been sued, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm just curious as to why that didn't happen. Uh, now, I don't remember the timeline exactly, uh, but I think he was, he was a candidate. Uh, well, he may have been, but you're, you're not protected as a candidate. No, no, but I mean, maybe, maybe they thought, okay, well, if we, if we file this lawsuit, it'll be drug out until well, well after the election, and if he gets elected, the suit is dropped. Well, honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. If it's if it's you know yeah. retroactive, that it still continues. Yeah, it can be con it's continued. It's just that my read on Kyle Rittenhouse was that it was never about money. He was scared for his life. He was scared that he would uh, never get out of prison. And he wasn't concerned about going out and suing people to make money or to make his name whole. He was still fighting the battle of staying out of jail while uh, Joey the Clown was running his mouth. And by the time Rittenhouse, uh, his case was resolved, it was pretty much too late to go after Biden because of, you know, holding office. So... Um, but to me, it's more, it, it has to do with, uh, more with the principle of the thing. So when, when we continue to let people get away with things, you know, we can't beat them up anymore. I mean, you can, but you're going to be in, in trouble, right? Now, back in our day, we used to just take them out behind the barn and, you know, do what we needed to do. 
Win, lose, or yeah. draw. Um, so the only way that, that literally you can hold anybody accountable anymore in this country is by taking them to court. And if you, if you set an example, because I think uh, Sandman did in his case, he set an example and, and you know, had, had made these idiot journalists or so-called journalists understand that you don't get to just uh, uh, publicly shame someone and accuse them of being something that they're not mm-hmm. until you have all the evidence and it goes through due process and the court system and, and they, they receive equal justice. You can't just label somebody, you know, you, you don't just label someone a rapist and say, okay, yeah, I believe they're a rapist. Without any evidence, without any proof, without any conviction, it's just like all these insurrectionists that we have running around in the United States. Um, where are the charges for insurrection? Because not a single person, ironically, from January 6th, has been charged with insurrection. Not one. Yeah, it's hard to believe an insurrection uh, occurred if no one was charged with insurrection. Well, isn't that something? It's kind of like, you want me to believe that these people ran, that five people consecutively ran a red light on January the 6th, and yet none of these people are charged with running a red light. Huh. Isn't that pretty much the same thing, you know? Yeah. You're not you're not enforcing a law that you're you're saying that they they all ran, you know, violated the traffic laws. Mm-hmm. But you're not charging them for that. You're charging them for something else. Well, I had mentioned to you huh. um I had mentioned to you that uh I had an, an incident with some people when I was hanging one of my business signs. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was on an easement and and they it wasn't even their property and it wasn't none of their business and I, you know i just dropped it i let it go you know i'm in my my business attire and uh you know i don't want i don't want my name smeared because i did something stupid because years ago i'd have probably just dropped them um but i i just kind of stood there and you know i i I said a few things, didn't cuss, didn't scream. Uh, but I, I, I pointed out the fact that uh, they didn't own that property, that there is an easement, and it's usually, you know, they're all different, but the, the, the easement from the center of the road to the side is usually like 25 feet. I wasn't about to measure it, but I did point out the fact that you can't tell me what to do. Welcome to the United States of America where we're free and, and I can put this sign up if I want to. Oh, we'll just rip it down. Well, then you're committing, you're committing a crime. I'm not committing a crime. You would be by destruction of private property. Just want to point that out to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll call the mayor. We'll call him. I know him well. Go ahead. I'll wait. But I left. Took my sign and I left. 
But I thought, these people are going to do this to someone else. These are, these are the type of people that, that need to be held accountable. So I called the, the chief of police. And I told him what happened. I told him they threatened me. They threatened to beat me up. I, I just stood there, and I, I kind of chuckled. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, that's probably not a good idea because I will defend myself in any way, shape, or form. And I've got something for that. Nothing happened to them. They got a visit. But I think without doing that, that gives them the authority to do that to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And because we turn the other cheek and because we don't react and because we don't do something to defend ourselves, then we are part of the problem. There doesn't have to be, and I didn't expect them to be charged with anything. And I told the chief of police that. I said, I don't expect you to, this is a he said, she said. You, you weren't there. You don't know what was said. I have my story. They have theirs. I, I, just, I just need you to pay them a visit and make them understand that what they are saying and what they are doing is not proper. And that's mm -hmm. it. I don't expect anybody to, to get a ticket, go to jail, you know, be charged with anything. I, I know that's not going to happen. So then a few days later, I called him, and he said, I sure did. And, and, and uh, they said, you know, part of your story was true, and the other part wasn't about, you know, threatening you. And I, but they said um, that you told them you've got something for that. And I said, something for what? What does that mean? Are you speculating that, that I would have done something illegal? And by the way, if I said that, what was I saying that in reference to? Why would I just say that out of the blue? I mean, something had to be said to me originally for me to respond in that way. Would it not? I mean, do you, do you just walk up to somebody and say, oh, I got something for that. What the hell does that actually mean? And, and, you know, I was a little bit fired up over it at the time. And he said, listen, uh, I, I already thought about that. You, you wouldn't just say something like that. And based on our conversations, um, I, I don't expect that you were doing anything wrong. Uh, and I said, well, I hope not. But uh, I did say this. I said, have you ever heard of me? I've lived here for 22 years. Have you, ever, have you ever heard my name? Do you know me? He said, no. And I said, you never will. But I guarantee you'll know those people sometime. Sooner or later, you'll, you'll know them again. Mm -hmm. But we don't, we, as, as, for some reason, and I was talking to a guy that, that delivered some uh, stuff to my house the other day, and uh, we, we kind of got into this conversation, and he's, I don't know that he's quite our age, but he's, he's close. And he said, things are just different today. And not that this is relevant, but he was black. But, but, but even someone of a different race is agreeing with the things that we say and that we can't do things the way we used to and people don't act the way they used to and the crime, and he's like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. He said, I, I really don't. I don't recognize, he said, because when I was younger, this stuff didn't occur. 
mass shootings and kids going to school shooting up, you know, their their fellow students and and the amount of crime that we have and all this craziness. And I thought to myself, wow, that that's that's powerful coming from someone like that because they're they're actually the you know we're made to believe that they're actually the ones that are the victims of all this stuff when that's not always necessarily the truth but that someone there are other people that recognize this the problem is uh and we talked about this is that <laughs> i say why do why do we see people getting beat up in subways and on the sidewalks and, and nobody does anything. And, and he makes a gesture like he's holding a phone. He said, because we'd rather do this and, and record it and, and gain recognition online for our videos of somebody, you know, being beaten the hell out of or whatever. We just don't get involved anymore. And we came to the agreement that people just don't care about people anymore. You know, well, we do well, about our friends and our family, but beyond that, I mean, people step over, uh, you know, somebody that's hurt on a sidewalk, and they just keep moving right along. They don't want to get involved. We talked about it right. with, with George Floyd. Yeah. Not only did the police officers let this guy do what he did, but none of the bystanders around, and you can hear them on the video, and... You know, get off that guy. You're killing him. You're killing him. He can't breathe. You know, do something. Well, I'm sorry. He may have a badge and a gun, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to body check that son of a bitch. And he won't be on his neck anymore. Well, I'll face the consequences. One if the I other, you get shot by one of the other cops, then. Well, then so be it. But I mean... I mean, I, I, I agree. Maybe with not, because I think they were, they, were, they were there thinking the same thing, this guy, because they were, you know, rookies, and, and one of them was a trainee. So, you know, they're, they're thinking, I can't do anything. He's my supervisor. Well, it could be. The, what's bothered me is that they did not do anything. And I, we've had this discussion a couple times, but and, I, and I've even had this discussion with someone we know in law enforcement that, as someone who carries, um, that's a, a blatant occasion of, of, a, of a time where I would not have had a problem drawing down on uh, Derek Chauvin and shooting him if I had to, because he was it was that blatantly wrong. Now, I don't know if there was anyone, you know, yeah, present who was armed other than the officers. Right. Uh, I'd be really curious if there were, and if so, what, why did they not do anything? Just like I'm curious about why did the officers not do anything? Well, there was a group because, of people there, Ron, and, and, and I mean, what are they going to do, shoot everybody? Well, yeah. Um, the, the, an officer like Chauvin, uh, is acting against him is one thing. Acting against the other officers is another thing because they're they're not doing anything. But the problem is they're not doing anything. Right. So I think you only 
you only shoot at Chauvin and you and you only shoot at the others if they <coughs> attempt to shoot at you. Excuse me. And and when I say attempt to shoot at you, do you see them draw a gun? Um, because you don't have time to to make the decision of are they going to shoot at me? When they when they go for their gun, you have to assume they're going to try to shoot you. Um, but that's one of the few times that I've seen something on television and said, you know, if I were there, I think I would have probably shot the guy. I mean, I not that I would have just shot without saying anything, but um, it, it was just a blatantly wrong situation. And I've just never understood why. Well, and, and I agree around. with I agree with everything you're saying. However, my point is that overall, we just don't we don't engage in anything anymore. No well, matter right. what the circumstances, if it's an old lady getting punched in the face on a subway, or you know, an old man being rolled on the sidewalk in front of 50, 60 people, nobody nobody reacts and nobody does anything anymore. They don't even help. They'll pull out their phone and they'll start recording. But that's it. They don't... I mean, there's no aid to, to our fellow citizens for anything, for any reason. Well, yeah, the, pulling out the phone and doing that is the, definitely the safest way to go because you don't, you don't get sued and you don't get shot for doing that. Um, but it's pretty lame. I mean, I, I mentioned... You know, we don't even stop. If we see a car, like, on the side of the highway, and then 100 yards away there's somebody walking down the street with a gas can, nobody stops for people like that anymore. Right. I, I, I can understand why. I'm not saying I don't get, I don't get why people don't engage. I'm, all I'm saying is I don't agree with it. But how did we get to the point where you're afraid of everybody. You're afraid of a guy walking down the street with a gas can because he ran out of gas? Why, why have we become that way? You know, what changed? And what's changed is we have to see stuff like what we talked about with this child being taken away from their parents and, and what you said. Are you going to be sued? You, are you going to be held liable if something happens? I mean, I, I spent close to five years in Germany. And you had to have uh, in your trunk, and they did, they, they did spot checks. They'd have checkpoints all over the place. And in, the tr in your trunk, you had to have a, a first aid kit. You had to have a, a warning triangle. And you had to have, like... Um, uh, warming blankets, and if you saw an accident on the side of the road, you were obligated to stop. It was against the law for you not to. Mm -hmm. Well, in the United States, it's pretty par for the course that you're driving right on by. There are some states that have that same law. We should. It should. We should all have that law. Yeah, I. It fairly it used to be fairly common. I don't know if it's common now. Obviously, I know no, it's not common now. But the the common practice was that if you were one of the first two cars, 
uh, and sometimes it was three, but it was always, if you were the first car or this and or the second car to arrive in an accident scene, you had to stop. Even if you didn't see anything. But let's be honest stop. real quick. And I don't want to interrupt you, but I have to give this thought because I'll forget about it. How, how often is that law enforced? Well, I don't live in a state where that's required now. And I and before in Colorado, it wasn't required either. That was the case in Nebraska. And it was in Missouri. I It doesn't exist as a statute any longer. So I would assume I, that a lot of that has to know. do with liability, right? Well, I mean, if you stop and you render aid to someone, let's say, you, you you know, you elevate their head or something, they've got a spinal injury and you just made that spinal injury worse. I mean, nobody wants to be liable. I understand that. That's not that's a legitimate point. That if you stop and you render aid or or whatever and, and you make the situation worse, you've got your hands on it now. So yeah. I understand that part. However, what if you what if 20 cars passed and the only thing you needed to do was put pressure on a uh, you know like a puncture wound or something like that until the ambulance got there and that actually saved the life? I mean you don't know because nobody would stop. Well, or how about something even less intrusive than that? How about you grab your phone and you just take photographs of the license plates of the vehicles that are present? Because if one of those cars drives off that's involved in the accident and maybe that person caused it, who else had the presence of mind to do that? Uh, no one did. Because, you know, someone's out looking for that car and they don't have a license number. So if you if that's all you did was stop, even stay in your car if you could, and take photos of the license plates, you've done something that was worthwhile as a human being. Because you wouldn't believe how often accidents happen and no one got the license plate until the cop got there. Right? Yeah. You know, that doesn't, that's not a, a suit situation. That's just something that, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And how about, you know, you may, I know we, we shouldn't do things for this, but if nothing else, you can say, you know, I did something good today. You know, I can pat myself on the back. I can go brag to my coworkers that I stopped at an accident or whatever, you know, I mean, if that floats your boat, there's, there's nothing negative about that. Yeah, of course, you know, people like you and I are kind of like never say anything to anyone, but it's like, you're not doing any harm there. And if you help render aid and you, and, uh, someone's bleeding out or something and you do something then fine i get the whole moving someone if they've got a spinal injury or something but if the car's on fire and it's gonna blow <laughs> right uh i'm gonna ask you want me to pull you out of there 
Yeah. <laughs> I might say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I don't have a problem with trying to help get them out. Well, I think one um, of the one of the problems is is the the guidelines, the rules and the regulations that have been put in place by <clears throat> local, state, federal governments and and then the decisions of the courts that have caused people to say, "You know what? I'd rather I'd rather pass up my fellow citizen uh, and render any sort of aid than to to be responsible and and held accountable for trying to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I always say it's it you know when you let the government get involved in every aspect of your life, and they think that they're doing what's what's best for you. When I would assume that a lot of people in this country would probably be on the, the side that we're talking about, that we should help one another when we're in some sort of danger or an accident or, you know, some some punks are, are trying to steal a woman's purse or just beat her up because she's old and can't defend herself. I mean, look what happened with that guy on the subway where he, he choked that guy out and he ended up dying. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they dropped the charges on that. Uh, but he was an evil white person who, you know, shouldn't have gotten involved in, in someone harassing, a, a, you know, people on a subway and, and getting out of control. You should have just walked away. And so does that person who walks away become liable if that instead of doing something, that person dies? I mean, you're kind. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, Aren't you just as bad as the cop that that declined to participate? You know. Yeah. Aren't I, you just as bad. I think these are legitimate questions to ask, and uh, you know whether that has anything to do with the Constitution or not. I'm not quite sure. Uh, well, because that's you're the you, point to a militia, though, right? The point to a militia is that we are. We have the right to defend ourselves, and we have the obligation to help our neighbors. Yes. And the whole let's not get involved thing is uh, part of the avoiding responsibility for helping our neighbors. Yeah. 100%. You there? So, oh, they, oh, yeah. It's all, <laughs> it's all, well, I was trying to, so many things in life are about avoiding responsibility. It's just something that human beings do that I, I don't want to be responsible for something going wrong. Uh, so I don't do anything. Um, so they, they do nothing. And, and then some people wonder why, oh, how could someone walk past someone who's laying on the sidewalk bleeding to, bleeding to death and not help? You know, people don't want to get involved. Um, it, it's just a, it's one of the ways that society breaks down. So. Yeah, I can remember a couple of stories that happened recently that uh, I just thought if I was there, I mean, I'd have done the best I can to help people. Uh, one of them was uh, a, an old man that was walking with a cane, and I think he was on the sidewalk in New York. 
like two or three punks came up and started beating on him, and nobody does anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw the videos of uh, something that happened on a, like a boat dock somewhere. And people just started beating people with each other with chairs. And I mean, it's just out of control and nobody's doing anything. And the crazy part about that story was the person who originally got beat up and uh, hit about the head and shoulders with a folding chair was the one that got arrested. Really? Like the guy who... I won't say... I won't go into why I think that was the case because um, I'm liable to be labeled something that I'm not. Uh, but, it, but it was pretty, it was pretty obvious. Uh, now, some in the mass media went where I refused to go. But they've got... You know, they've got uh, protections and lawyers and money and stuff like that. You know, powerful organizations behind them. So I just don't want to do that. I don't have any proof of my perspective, uh, but it was pretty obvious to me as far as I'm concerned. Um, You know, that's actually... There was something else I meant to say when I was railing on the district attorney in uh, Kansas City, but it's uh, now's a good time, which is, you know, this, uh, I don't watch any of the convention stuff and, you know, CPAC, the conservative outfit is uh, going on or getting ready to go on. Mm. And there was uh, just just today, an announcement that they were going to restrict the uh, access to free passes to the, uh, you know, the propaganda media, you know, the leftist media, like MSN and stuff, MSNBC, um, that they weren't just going to carte blanche issue all of these free passes to a bunch of freeloaders in the media that called themselves journalists, um, which I thought, you know, good. You know, that that's actually something that should have happened during Trump's administration uh, with respect to the White House uh, press briefings, because they're, they're all just a bunch of activists. You know, uh, well, roughly, roughly 80 to 90 percent of so-called journalists are really just left-wing activists. Mm-hmm. They, they don't represent anything about truth or justice or the American way or anything like that. They're, they're basically pushing in a, on a left-wing agenda. Yeah. Uh, that they, they couch everything in those terms. So the, you know, this pack has decided that, you know, we're not giving you passes, you know? So, uh, I just thought, you know, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to let Fox in there. You don't want to let, I forget his last name. Simon is his first name. The guy from Africa in the oh, White yeah. House. Yeah, the one they kicked out. Yeah. Yeah, because he's black. 
And the only only guy from Africa that was in there, but they didn't want to answer his questions. So, at any rate, um, well, because he's not beholden to you know anyone in the United States, he's going to ask tough questions, and uh, they don't like that. I mean, it, it doesn't um, matter. I, I mean, you could look at at some of the questions that Trump has gotten. And some of the question that questions that Biden has gotten, and and I mean, sure, uh, you know, they they hit Trump with stupid questions. It doesn't. Ha- it's crazy to me that they don't ask about like policy and and hey, what you know, what's your ideas on, uh, you know, a possible world war or what's going on with Ukraine and and Russia or Israel and Hamas. They ask him questions about, you know, why are you so racist? <laughs> what do you have against immigrants? Yeah, I mean, you know, stupid stuff. When that's not really, it's not really like the, the a policy. It's it's more of we've heard this from so many people that we you need to answer these questions. Yeah, it's an accusation. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, it, so it's got to be frustrating for someone like him who wants to talk about, you know, because then they're like, well, he never talks about policies. He's always talking about, you know, uh, lawsuits and, and, you know, people, fake news and all that other stuff. Well, when that's all you're hit with, what else are you supposed to respond to? That's why I think, you know, sometimes he makes a calculable uh, uh, calculable. Uh, mistake and and doesn't ignore that shit and go to the substance uh and and just blow that stuff off you know the, one of the best things you can do to a liberal is just ignore them besides mocking them just ignore them or or giggle in their face and turn around and walk off i was going to mention to you the other day when we were talking uh, where, where they or where, where I saw Joe Biden trip up the stairs a couple of times again. Mm-hmm. He was on his way to California, and uh, I was going to say this towards the end of the show. He gets off the plane, and who's there? Who's there on the tarmac? Maxine Waters, of all people. And they're standing there talking, and I thought, what are those two talking about? Which which brand of Depends is the best, or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what do you do about your constipation and ir- irregularity? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do they possibly have to talk about? Well, uh, I'm certain that I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm sure it's not, not anything of value. Um, no, uh-uh. not anything of that. So there was something I wanted to talk about too. Um, so uh, a new report suggests that uh, Joe Biden uh, is going to delay an implementation of a gas restriction uh, that will increase gas prices until after the presidential election. Imagine that. Uh, so what it is is that uh, 
so they're they're going to delay um, the implementation of a policy change brought by Midwest state governors to allow the three-year round sale of higher ethanol gasoline blends until 2025 uh, because that will increase gas prices. And it's just like now he's willing to consider a uh, executive order to address the border crisis when for three over three years we've heard there was no crisis at the border. And yet, the numbers have came out, and I've mentioned them before, but it's a little bit worse than what I thought. Um, 7.3 million illegal immigrants have entered the United States along the southwest border, uh, which is greater than the population of 36 individual states. Well... So here's, here's what's almost the size of New York City. Here's what's crazy to me. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Here's the number. 7,298,486. How are they so accurate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you get down to, like, that kind of number? And these are encounters at the southwest uh, southwest border. So, oh, those are documented. Though. Yeah, those are the yeah. So the real. Oh number, my God, we don't even know the unreal. Oh, yeah, that's wow. yeah. So they reported. Um, the agency has reported that nine hundred and sixty-one thousand five hundred and thirty-seven border encounters happened in the fiscal year of 2024. So almost a million. That started in October. The fiscal year. Uh, the pace for 2024 would break the illegal immigration record from last year, which was at 2,475,669 encounters. Mm -hmm. So... I had mentioned that I think it's 10 million because this is just encounters, right? And then I was uh, received a report that the northern border has an increase of 240% of illegal mm -hmm. crossings. 240%. Now, they don't give the exact number, uh, but that's a lot. So keeping these numbers in mind and, and keeping this real, um, there, is, there is absolutely no reason why Mayorkas shouldn't have been impeached. Because that many people crossing the border is not enforcing immigration law. Oh, definitely not. But 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 I'm thinking upwards of 10 million people have come into this country illegally. And then, of course, um, we have to hear the 
the left-wing extremists say, well, no person is illegal. I, I, I have a hard time deciding uh, the constitutionality of any of this and whether or not immigration is addressed directly in the Constitution And if so, what? How do we hold uh, like people like Mayorkas or even the president of the United States accountable? <laughs> well, I think that with respect to Mayorkas, I mean. The Constitution, we've talked about this before, where the Constitution is silent on but my, immigration. Hey, let me say this one thing. So I said I started out with the gas prices and, and those increasing after the election because they're waiting for that to happen before they implement this new executive order or whatever the crap it is. And then I, I mentioned the executive order that he's willing to write so he's, he's not going to do that to avoid gas prices going up before the election because it's a political move. Then, he's, then on the other hand, he's now considering an executive order to address the crisis at the border because it's a political move based on the election. So there's two things. One, I'm not doing this because it'll hurt me. Two, I haven't done this because it'll hurt me, but now because this is a major political issue, I'm going to go ahead and do this as executive order. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're thinking about politics and you're thinking about someone that, that you possibly might vote for, you have to take into consideration the fact that they are lying and that they are doing whatever they have to do prior or after or before the election uh, to goat you into... Uh, voting for them. Like they say one thing and then after they're elected they do the exact opposite. How many how many presidents have we seen do that? Well, i.e. E. George Bush, read my lips, yeah. no new taxes. Well, yeah. he lied. Go ahead. Yeah, at one level or another, almost every politician does that, whether it's intentional or not, you know, and in some cases it's a matter of over-promising because they start promise, making promises about things that they, they can't control. And like George Bush should have known better than to say, read my lips, no new taxes because that instantly became the number one thing Democrats wanted to do was increase taxes. Yeah. Because it would mean that he broke his word. Yeah. I mean, it was like he, he put on his own kick me sign and he decided what it was, it was kick me over taxes. You know, just what a fool. So, but some people, Biden's one of them. In fact, Biden is as much of a retail politician 
as I remember ever having. Um, Cause that's all he does. I mean, he's the only thing he's, he can do is politics. And at least the other presidents we've had in my lifetime were, were competent at something else, except, well, Obama. So of course we get them, you know, within four years of one another. Uh, and one of them was president, one of them was vice president in the same administration. So we're, we're getting some of the worst of our politics just in the last, you know, dozen years. So that's not helping us at all. Uh, but at some point, you know, most politicians lie. Uh, I wish I could say it's otherwise, you know, my guy doesn't lie. But whether, whether you want to believe someone doesn't lie or not, and the best thing you can do is say, well, you know, they, they thought one thing and it turned out facts were others. Then, then stick what I said, stick to what I said, which is only make promises about things that you can control. Make, make a promise about, I will do my best to lower gas prices, but don't promise that you're going to lower gas prices because it's going to instantly be your opponents pushing uh, to raise gas prices just because they can say, oh, well, you lied about that. So it's just, you know, Trump would set himself up that way. He'd be used to making big promises, you know, and, and I don't have a problem in general with people who do that to think big and say, oh, I want to do such and such. But, you know, boasting and, and making big claims and stuff, uh, at some point you just got to stop and, and stick with what you know you can do, which sometimes all you can do is try. Well, and you brought up a good point the other day, too, where you said, you know, if you don't have the House and the Senate, you're going to have a hard time uh, getting anything done. Yeah. But those those issues fall on the the responsibility of the electorate. I mean, they, they don't prove to be the best and the brightest either. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes well, to, yeah, know, I mean, but there have been times, I mean, Barack Obama had all three, uh, the House, the Senate, and the White House. Um, Joe Biden had it when he first went into office, had the House, the White House, and the Senate. He didn't do anything on, you know, they talk about, oh, we need, uh, uh, comprehensive immigration reform. Well, you didn't do anything. And how many presidents before that had that much power and they didn't do anything? So you have to, you have to as a voter, sit back and think to yourself, these aren't, these aren't serious people because they had the opportunity. And, and this is why I always you know, kind of get on Trump a little bit 
where he had the opportunity to do away with Obamacare and didn't do it. That was one of the promises he made, and he had the opportunity, and he didn't do it. Well, the, the only, it only failed by one vote, and that was John McCain. Yeah, so I, I get that. I mean, that's not necessarily all his fault. However, um, it would fall on the, the voters of Arizona to understand that John McCain was not an honest person. And he wasn't who he claimed to be. Mm -hmm. And that he fooled you for all those years. I mean. Well, I, I agree with all of that. And I, and I agree that starting that campaign against John McCain after that vote would have been a good thing for him to do. And I think it would have been a good thing when McCain died to deny him all of the crap, you know, the, the flight on Air Force uh, One, well, Air Force Two is technically what it would have been designated. But uh, at any rate, deny him the state funeral, the state uh, lying in state in the Congress, the, the flight to and from the military escorts, all of that crap. And, and if Trump would have just said, you know, John McCain had a chance to have some integrity and vote against Obamacare, and he didn't. So I am not going to support his funeral at all. And uh, he was a bad guy, and uh, I don't support him, period. And, you know, take the heat or whatever for that, but then at least you're on record for, for not liking John McCain because he was a shitty senator instead of just because, you know, he's, he's basically on record of not liking McCain because McCain was captured. And <laughs> right. that's not what he, it's not what he meant by it at all. <laughs> yeah. But I think he found himself in a way of, you know, if I really explain what I mean by this, then I'm going to dig myself a, a deeper hole. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of folks know John McCain lied about his uh, time as a POW. And I'm not saying that he didn't have a rough time of it at all. But I also know that he cracked under pressure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it happened to be while my dad was over there. And I'm in a position to know. You know, when you're at MACVSOG in Saigon on, and on the General Westmoreland staff and on Great Abrams staff, and the intel comes to you, you can pretty much rely that it's rely on the fact that it was true about McCain because they knew that he had cracked. Well, what did they call Song? him? Songbird? What? Yeah, Songbird. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, Songbird, uh, and there's nothing, nothing uh, negative about cracking. I mean, I would be shocked if someone did not. The Vietnamese were brutal to to some of these POWs. The thing is, is that we don't really know that he got treated completely the way he said that he did. You know, some of it's true. 
But in other words, there's some doubt about just when he cracked and did he really get treated completely as badly as he claimed or was it just badly, you know? Um, but that's neither here nor there. It's just Trump didn't want to get involved in that, that it would open up a lot of wounds unnecessarily. And I think he just kept his mouth shut afterwards and took the heat and it's probably wise. Uh, but yeah, McCain cracked. And I think almost anyone would have, if not everyone. And, and there's nothing bad about that. So why not just say it, you know, instead of pretending something else was the case. That's what really got the the military folks upset with him was that he was lying about it and he was expecting them to back him up. So, yeah, just, I, just, I, so I, I would add that uh, to what you said, which is. I've never been a POW. And I can't imagine what they do to those people. I mean, you, you can see stuff on TV, but that's TV. And and I would I would find it hard not to uh to do to answer questions that they're asking me if they're pulling my fingernails out or you know putting uh, hot knife blades to your, to your skin or whatever, waterboarding, whatever it is that they do. I mean, I think most people would probably go, okay, yeah, I'll answer your questions. Making you have sex with Maxine Waters. Yeah, gosh, that would be one of the worst ones. Or a threesome with Maxine and Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell Just you what that, let, that would be. Yeah. Listen, I you can call me Songbird because I'm not doing it. Well, um, I'm allergic to penicillin, so. But um, the thing about it was, he had a, a horrible service record, and uh, if it wasn't for you know people that he knew and and you know, his connections, he probably would have been tossed out of the Navy to begin with. So, I'm, I mean, mm -hmm. and, and he's not known for his, his greatest uh, hits when it comes to being a senator either. Well, he was last in his class. Yeah, like I said, yeah, like I said, he doesn't have a great record yeah. uh, when it comes La to You know who else was? Uh, his buddy, Joe Biden. George Armstrong Custer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's like they, they ought to have the last in the class at these schools. And then without telling them, to begin with, just say, okay, you finished last and we're cutting you. <laughs> you, don't, you don't make the team. We're going to find someone else to play on our kickball team. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, Biden bite me was pretty bad too, except he wasn't even in any of the military stuff. But you know, it's like, you know, I totally but they consi- agree with But they considered John McCain a war hero because simply for the fact that he was tortured. No, there's no other reason that they considered him a war hero. I mean, he didn't do anything uh other than get captured and tortured to uh, earn that title as a war hero. Not that I've been able to find anyway. I mean, when you, when you look for stuff like that, most of the stuff you see is the negative things that his fellow soldiers said about him. Mm-hmm. Now, I do know that he was offered deals to be released while he was a POW um, before they tortured him to turn over information, and he told them no, he, he wasn't going to leave his fellow soldiers. So there's there's some commendability there. but uh, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, not, not everything is, is all horrible. Uh, and again, I, I don't know that I could have withstood all the... The things I, I don't even know what they did to him exactly, but I mean, I think that a, a bunch of people would probably have done the same thing. And uh, I would say basically everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What else do I have here? Is there anything else you wanted to comment on on that? No, I've been remarkably jumping jumping into it of today. So, um, staying silent from your state of Missouri, your governor has uh, said that he's going to send National Guard soldiers to uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah, that's that's what the militia is meant for. Well, I don't think he's sending any militia, though. Well, but I mean, isn't wasn't the the isn't the National Guard really a state militia? If you're if well, you're looking at it from a technical perspective, well, there's an a, an attempt to equate the two. Um, I would say that it it it's not improper. To say that the National Guard is a state militia, um, but it's it's not the exclusive, you know, be all to end all to militias. It's it was never intended to have a single state militia. That there would be militias from different areas of a state. No, but part of the reason that I brought that up was because um, there were talks of Joe Biden taking over uh, Texas State, uh, Texas uh, National Guard. Yeah. To use them against their own state, the state of Texas, and whether or not that was constitutional. And so, 
the, that's really part of the only reason that I consider them a state militia is because they are, they are um, controlled by the state, not the federal government. Yeah, but it is constitutional for a president to take command of a state militia. Under of, what circumstances? Of, of the National Guard. Um, but there is no authority by the president or anyone else over a state militia. But what, Those are but, strictly a state. But under what circumstances can can the president of the United States take control of the National Guard in any state? Well, there... Look at the... National uh, emergencies? No, there... Uh, there's a, a slim line, like if you're talking about Texas, about whether or not a president can go in and take over the National Guard. But there are National Guard troops serving like those National Guard folks who were killed in uh, uh, Jordan by that missile fired from Iraq. You know, those are those were National Guard. And they were stationed over there on duty. Yeah. And their commander-in-chief is the president. So... You know, it's not unprecedented for National Guard to be serving, and there's been a ton of them serving uh, overseas. Yeah, yeah. No, I but that, but I, I think that they could qualify if someone wanted to consider them a state militia. However, a president has no authority to go in and take command of a state militia because militia is a state entity. They have no re no right to regulate them at all, to give them orders, uh, unless they're, you know, unless they have entered into the conflict. Like there would be the, let's say the P Pennsylvania 13th uh, fighting at a bull run. Okay, well, they've contributed uh, into the army. They, they've agreed that the Pennsylvania 13th would fight it, would fight for the Union. And maybe the Pennsylvania 10th uh, was held back. Maybe they're, they're uh, drilling somewhere in Delaware. I don't know. But, you know, there, there would be multiple militias from various states. And if uh, a governor was contributing, let's say 10 units of militia to uh, the union cause, then, then that's what they did. See what you're talking about, I didn't realize. It, you, you, and, and you're 100% right. And that's why I'm glad we have these conversations because not only do I learn, but so do our listeners. It didn't used to be that the uh, federal government was in charge of National Guards. That was changed. Uh, so the um, 
So federal law was changed in, se in section 1076 so that the governor of a state is no longer the sole commander in chief of their state's National Guard during emergencies within the state. The president of the United States could then take control of a state's National Guard units without the governor's consent. Um, the person who is in charge of, is the, the, the chief of the National Guard Bureau is General Daniel R. Hokinson from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I didn't realize that had been changed, and I don't know when that happened, but uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating to learn about all of that stuff. Um, what isn't fascinating is to is to have it be during the circumstances that we're under. Um, well, and I was going to say, what what was the purpose of changing that? What what was the what was the um, excuse to say, hey, you know, federal government needs to be in charge of state's National Guard? Well, I, I'm fuzzy on when National Guard was formed, but I think it was right around 1900. You're going to have to use your fast fingers on your computer. <laughs> My, my computer-like memory probably needs to be uh, restarted. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure it was like 1898, something like that. Uh, it was during December, thir December 13th, 1636. The National Guard? Yeah, established in 1636, the Army National Guard is the oldest component of the U.S. Armed Forces and serves as the primary combat reserve of the U.S. Army. Mm. Founded in 1636 as a citizen force organized to protect families and towns from hostile attacks. See, that's why I considered them a militia. So all of that has obviously changed. Uh, I mean, the, the National Guard soldiers hold civilian jobs or attend college while maintaining their military training part-time, always ready to defend the American way of life in the event of an emergency. Um, but I don't know when that was changed from what they said was to protect families and towns from hostile attacks. And most people probably still think that way, and that's why I thought... The National Guard in Texas was there to protect the southern border. That's what their job is. Not, not solely their job, but that was their mission at the time when, when Governor Abbott said, hey, and then the rest of these governors with their state National Guard said, we're going to send ours to help you. This is a matter of national security. They, the, the governors don't have any control over the the regular army. I mean, they don't have any, they, they can't call up the military, but they can call up the National Guard. So that that's that's why I was under the impression that you could really consider them a, a state militia, but apparently that's all changed. Well, I think that 
I think that the definition that has been changed, you know how this effort has been going on where definitions have changed? It didn't used to be the definition. Um, because the definition that, you know, the explanation you've given there sounds an awful lot like the original militia formed during colonial times. Okay, so here's where I think you're, you're coming from. The National Guard became a standard nationwide militia title in 1903. Yes. And has specifically indicated reserve forces under mixed state and federal control since 1933. So yeah, that's that that's where I I kind of up to that point I, I didn't know that had changed like that. Yeah. Um but there's probably a lot of people that are like, hey, I didn't know this either. Well, exactly. It's just that it, uh, there's been this effort and may, maybe this definition going on. Uh, shifting around is part of it, where people have been led to believe that the National Guard is our militia in various states. And it's not wrong to say that the National Guard is a militia in many respects, because the, the idea of it grew out of militias. Right, but back way back when it was in the colonial era, way before we were even a country, in the 1600s. So, you know, it was just a militia that existed, um, and we had militias in various states. Um, They're quite common until the Civil War period, and they gradually started just kind of fading away. Um, and the National Guard effort was built up. And there's nothing wrong with considering the National Guard a militia. Well, and it's I don't want to be like... So anything that's in control of the government, uh, it, I don't want to make it sound like I think that the uh, National Guard is, is a militia that's looking out for the best interest of the people any more than any other entity in the federal government. That's not what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, but I, I thought, okay, well, these are state-controlled. So, like, if, if, if Biden wanted to send the military into Texas and take over, and and basically, you know, position the military on the border to to say, hey, you can't defend the border, and we're just going to let anybody in that comes. And you have no no business to to defy us. Um, that their their answer would be, well, our national guard is going to. You see what I'm saying? Um, because when if you read some of this stuff, it's very confusing. Um, I had asked the question when they became federalized. 
and that was during World War I. Congress passed the National Defense Act of 1916, which required the use of the term National Guard for the state militias and further regulated them. So, it's okay for the government to use the word militia. And in this case, they're using the word militia for an entity that they control. But if you or I had mentioned, hey, we're going to start our own state militia, we would be labeled probably terrorists or, you know, uh, insurrectionists trying to overthrow the government. Where, because they're, they're doing it, they're in control of them, it's okay for them to use that term. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm trying to, I guess, trying to point out. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's a good distinction. And, uh, and uh, take, just taking it another step further, what they're trying to do, the, the feds, are trying to imply that the fact that the feds are in charge of it legitimizes it. And that's actually not true. Because a true state militia is... Uh, operated and, and commanded by the state, not by the federal government. And it's not regulated by the federal government either. The federal government has no say in how state militias operate. There's no constitutional authority at all. There never has been, unless that state's militia voluntarily says so. There's, you know, agrees to it. Um, there's no constitutional authority to go in and say, we are taking over all of the states, uh, all of Texas militias, and we're going to move them to the federal, to the southern border. They don't have any authority to do that. And that lack of authority is what irked George Washington about relying on militias. Because he didn't like the fact that their commanders could say, no, we're not doing that. We're not, I'm not following that order. Sorry. I'm not going to go enforce this, this uh, whiskey tax that you want to go and uh, enforce. Because I know that you are personally the largest producer of rye whiskey in the country, and you're just you're just uh, out to uh, protect your own interests. And I am not going to have my men go do that. Sorry, Charlie. Not gonna. Nope. 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 He didn't like that. Well, too bad. So sad. So, you know, he was able to go and put something together. And I'm making a bigger deal out of the Whiskey Rebellion than it really was because it was actually during the Revolutionary War that he first started having some issues with how the militias operate because they, they were commanded by their whoever their commanding officer was. And they could say no. They could say, no, we don't want to lead that charge. Um, 
So he was in favor of having, of, of getting to be in charge. <laughs> in other words, yeah. like any general would be, right? Right. right. So it, it wasn't really necessary. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's something, there's, I'm not trying to negate his point because he had a good point that when it comes to fighting a national war, the a national authority ought to be in charge. But what makes it difficult to fight these countries that are tribal, like in uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and the United States back when we were more tribal. Uh, and still we are considered tribal to some extent because we do have state militias and we all are, uh, we have the right to bear arms. So what makes us, what makes that sort of a society difficult to fight and invade and take over is that you never know who your friends and foes are. Yeah. You know, you yeah. could walk through a town and somebody blow your head off um, from a window across the street that, and you, you know, anyone could be your enemy. So there's some real pros to having, uh, armed tribes that may or may not be completely aligned with, a, with a federal authority. But if you're an invading authority, you know, if China wants to come here and invade us, uh, they're not concerned about Joe Biden. They're concerned about people like us and, and going through our towns because we're all armed. Yeah. Joe Biden can be bought off. Well, he has been bought off, you know? So that's the positive to a militia is that, yeah, they're tough to organize, but by golly, trying to take them over. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the reason I wanted it, yeah, for sure. The reason that I wanted to bring that up is, is what you talked about at the end of our last show, which was, you know, uh, coming up with some sort of amendment or declaration or, or whatever you want to call it. Oh, okay. And I thought, well, it, it would be a much easier task if you had state militias uh, that they could get, you know, signatures or petitions or, or, you know, people uh, uh, to acknowledge what it is that, that we're talking about, you know, and, and have a, a local, you know, at, at a state level uh, at least to be able to, you know, say, Hey, let's go out and let's let's make ourselves known. Let's let's let people understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Uh, it would just create an easier way to get the word out and to get people interested in. Hey, we we need to we need to you know air our grievances and and you know you could get their opinions and their feedback and, and what is concerning them. And you see what I'm saying? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I didn't know that's what, why. What's that? 
I didn't know that was why you brought it up. No, it's part of it. It's not. It's not all of it. I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that they're trying to uh, to ban militias, and and there's a reason for that. You know, banning militias, banning guns, outlawing uh, uh, AR-15s and high capacity magazines diminishes your ability to defend yourself. Not only against, I don't know, a home intruder or, or a, a carjacker, but against the government who wants to take everything away from you. Yeah. So, so That's it's not just, yeah. yeah, it's not just a single, it's not a, it's not a sing, you know, it's not just a, a single issue. You know, it's not, it, it doesn't have, it's not about mass shootings or, you know, street violence, gang violence, whatever. It, it also has to do with the fact that they don't like that there are more guns owned by citizens than our military has. As a matter of fact, we probably have more guns uh, owned privately than a lot of countries have in their entire militaries. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, China invading. Sure, they got a billion people, but not all of them are armed. Yeah. You know, what, what's, the, what's the average in America? I mean, I don't know. But I would guess at over half. I mean, I know there's, what, 300 and some million guns in the United States? That's two and a half times our population. <laughs> you know, there's not many countries that can say that. And those countries who, who go, well, you know, America's nothing but gun owners and, and uh, mass shooters and all that other stuff. No. The reason that you don't have that is because you've outlawed them. But you have a lot, a lot of crime still. Mm -hmm. some, of, some of the biggest, you know, worst episodes of crime. Uh, what was the big? What was the big uh, mass shooting they had overseas? Was it Norway or where that guy went out and killed all those people? And they have very, very strict gun control if if they haven't confiscated people's weapons already. It was years ago. Well, yeah, wasn't it like on an island or yeah, something? Yeah, it was. Like uh -huh. that? Yeah. And they killed a bunch of kids. And uh, they, she and shot everybody, anybody and everybody that he could put a bullet into. Yeah. And, of course, our country knows very little about all the details of it, which, you know, still, bad event. Yeah, regardless. for sure. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our country also hasn't had, other than, of course, with respect to... Uh, Native Americans, we haven't had genocide like Germany either. But, you know, if you take a look at what we did to the Native Americans in this country, eh, it looks an awful lot like genocide to me. So, but then, of course, Native Americans were not heavily armed either. No. So, uh, but the genocide committed by the Germans was by the government. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So if they take your guns and and your in your way of defending yourself, who's to say our own government won't commit genocide on its own citizens? 
Well, I think they would. That's you're bad parents because you won't <laughs> let your kids uh, identify as whatever and change their name. And so we're going to take not only we're going to take your kids away from you, but we're going to execute you. Mm-hmm. It's not happened. But man, a lot of strange shit is going on in this country. And who's to say that it would never happen? I mean, yeah, we're we're seeing we're seeing things happen in this country that we never dreamed would ever be a subject, let alone happening. Yeah, who would have ever thought that the government would round up all the Japanese Americans and put them in a internment camp throughout the duration of the war? Oh, and they have the nerve. <laughs> they have the nerve to bash the Chinese for uh, over the Uyghurs. Yeah. But but we did the same thing. More or less. Well, sure. I mean, uh, so... We certainly denied them their constitutional rights. I mean, we could argue about racism or whatever. You know, whatever you want to label uh, what their activities were. Um, I probably wouldn't disagree, but we're about the Constitution here. So with respect to the Constitution, uh, all of those people who were interred during uh, World War II who were Japanese-American, their constitutional rights were violated. Yeah. And... uh, it's it's kind of like the the COVID thing. I mean, you can argue about whether or not it was necessary or not, but it, it's still a, a violation of constitutional rights. So let's be honest here and call the spade a spade and say, are there times that it's okay to suspend the Constitution? I say no. The Constitution doesn't say that it's okay to suspend it, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and there are all kinds of workarounds. The, that internment was not necessary. That That's just some guy who is telling everyone else not to be afraid, and yet he was afraid. Yeah. So um, maybe Roosevelt just had a little too much power. And... Uh, you know, if there had been uh, equal protection under the law, like our Constitution calls for, those folks would have been uh, granted a hearing and uh, uh, gone before the Supreme Court and been released and compensated. But they weren't. Yeah. So I think that's a perfectly legit grievance. Um, so yeah, uh, look at what the government did to, uh, Native American populations. I mean, it was basically the, the government's desire to, uh, kill off the Native Americans in this country, all, yeah. basically all 300 tribes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the only ones that really fit in very well to, but it's a prime uh, example of, but isn't it? Culture a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Was, 
the the only ones that really fit in very well with European culture were the Cherokee. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's because maybe they were they were exposed pretty heavily to the uh, English that came into the Carolinas and worked with them a lot. And they already had their own language and they had own alphabet and that sort of thing. They were pretty advanced in comparison to most of the other tribes around the country. Right. <coughs> so they did fit in better. But they, they got screwed too. Well, but isn't that a case, a, a, a good case? And, and, uh, um, way to to say, look at what our government has done in the past. So we traded with them, broke bread with them, and then turned our back on them and, and basically stabbed them in the back. And that they will do that to gain power and control. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, they'll do it to anyone. Yeah, they'll do it to... I mean, they've done it numerous times. Yeah. They're, they're doing it to Israel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, every day we inch closer and closer to our, our president to come out and say, you know what? If you don't do what we tell you to do, there are going to be consequences, and you're not going to like what those are. I mean, he, he basically showed his true colors when, you know, he said he thought that Israel's response was over the top and he was all angry about it. And, you know, they don't... President Biden and the government, the administration, do not like the fact that uh, uh, Putin... Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is not bowing to their demands. I mean, the UN calling for an immediate ceasefire. Well, who the hell are you? Yeah. Now, they voted it down, and I think uh, the United States may have been the one that, that headed that. The only one who voted against it, yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that's, a, 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 that's only because we would alienate them, which we're doing already. But if they would have voted for that in the, in the United Nations, I, I don't think we would be as strong allies as... I don't think we're as strong allies as we were five years ago. Oh, no. I mean, Obama and Biden actively were interfering in the election... Uh, to try to keep Netanyahu out of office. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, they, it was they, just blatant. Again, it's, blatant. Well, they, they, oh, Russia interfered in our election. Well, you're interfering in elections all around the world. Come on. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, I'm sure Netanyahu's got a burr under his saddle over that. I sure would. And, uh, you know, if I were at Netanyahu, I'd tell him to go fuck off. Well, you know? and, and he kind of has in a way. And, and if he didn't get it from the very beginning, 
Netanyahu has not changed his, his stance. He said from the very beginning, our goal and our mission is to wipe Hamas out and never have to deal with this again. Because if we don't and we negotiate, we've done that a hundred million times already. And guess what? It gets worse and worse. The attacks on our people, the attacks on our country or, or our state, whatever, they continue to do that. They continue to, to, to say, yeah, we'll negotiate. And then when we go into negotiations, they're planning attacks. And we're just mm -hmm. supposed to sit back and let this happen? Yeah. Maybe the United States does that nowadays, but, but we're not going to do that. They, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, other, other tribes want, our, want us removed from the face of the planet. Maybe you don't take them serious when they say death to America, but we take them serious because we have missiles fly over our heads every day. We have attacks mm -hmm. on us every day. Again, our people don't experience that. So it's easy for you to, to, to go down to the local or your, your state capital and walk in there and protest for a free Palestine or, or whatever. But you don't have to experience what the Israeli people experience on a daily basis, not even close, not, not even freaking close. You know, the worst, well, the I, worst thing that you have to worry about in this country is that somebody, somebody acknowledges you by your preferred pronoun. Not a, not a damn uh, missile flying over your head and potentially landing in your home. Or, well, or a hospital know, in your um, city. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then Biden he, did uh, take the extraordinary step of risking his life by visiting Palestine, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. It was Palestine, Ohio. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Hillary when she, you know, when she was flying in a, in a helicopter going to Afghanistan and Iraq and she got shot at and they had to take cover and all this other bullshit. Never happened. Exactly. Never happened. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we're getting close to the end here. I wanted to end on this because we were talking about the Constitution, and I, I think they just came out. Surprisingly enough, the Supreme Court in New York State has uh, shot down um, legislation that would allow illegal citizens, non-citizens, to vote in elections. Thank God. Of course, the mayor and governor were not too happy about that, but both of those people are kind of insane anyway. Uh, so that's a that's a good sign. Um, I'm I'm very shocked that uh, of all places that would be one of them that said no, non citizens can't vote. <laughs> yeah. I think they get to vote in the city, though. No, that's what they're talking about. They can't even vote in uh, local elections, let alone really? any. Yep. Yep. The state decided that. The state Supreme Court. New York Supreme Court. Okay. 
that they can't even vote in in uh, local elections. And and their the, you know their whole argument was that you know they pay taxes and and you know they're they're local people who you know should have a say so in in uh, what goes on in their communities and the Supreme Court said uh, no. Okay. So that that's a big win for the Constitution. I thought that would be yeah. a, a good thing to end on because that's good news. Well, yeah, and in a rare region. And how do we? How do they know they're paying taxes? They don't. If they're if they're a non-citizen, unless they've been issued a visa, work visa, and a temporary social security number, which most of them don't have. They're not paying taxes. They can't. Well, income taxes, but... But if you live in a state like I do where there is no income tax, they're not paying taxes. Yeah, true. Uh, One of the the biggest... One of the biggest chicken plants... Uh, was raided uh, a couple of years ago. And they had over uh, like 100 um, illegals working there. And, you know, the feds raided them. And uh, they, all of a sudden they, they had to increase their payroll, you know, their, their, their uh, hourly pay and hire legitimate employees. How they got away with it for as long as they did because these people aren't paying taxes is beyond me. I mean, IRS couldn't figure out, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's not adding up here from the last few years. I mean, maybe that's what what tipped them off. I mean, I don't know. Uh, But it was funny because they they never did this before. They put a huge sign out in front of their, you know, on on the side of the road because they're right off one of the main roads going through the town. Now hiring, you know, $20 an hour or something like that, where before they were paying all the cheap labor for, you know, under the table, I'm sure, because they almost got shut down. Is that a Tyson plant? Um, I'll have to look it up. I don't think so. I think it's a, I want to say Koch, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but let me look it up real quick. That's okay. I was yeah, just it's really... Koch Foods. Koch Foods. Okay. They're a, a meat processor. And oh my gosh, is that place? It's in the center of this, almost in the center of the dang town, and it stinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you, but I went to college in Sterling, Northeastern Junior College in Sterling, Colorado. And right down, oh. the, yeah, right down the road. Uh, was a meat processing plant, and when the wind blew the right way, oh, my God, Becky. You talk about stank. Yeah, I have fond memories living in Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) Well, actually, we were in Bellevue, Nebraska, right at Offutt Air Force Base. And uh, Offutt and Bellevue were on the... West side of uh, Omaha. Uh-huh. So, but at any rate, I have fond memories of uh, 
these summer days <laughs> in, in Bellevue, Nebraska, yeah. at 100 degrees, uh, and the the smell of the stockyards downtown yeah. wafting over Bellevue. <laughs> and oh my God, did it ever stink. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty bad. Yeah, we used to go, we used to travel up to, uh, CSU and, and watch. Well, I can't say who. This was back in back in a long time ago where you could I think they've changed it now where you know you never could buy so you could buy beer at college football games and then they changed it to where you couldn't and now they're back to you can. But we would go into the we would go into the stadium. Uh We'd be tailgating out in the parking lot at a CSU game, playing football and barbecuing, whatever, drinking beer. But you could go into the stadium and buy a keg and take it out in the parking lot. Really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there was probably just as many people in the parking lots as there were in the stadium. And then I think they, you know, they shut it off, uh, and then they quit taking, you know, tickets and stuff and, and sometimes we'd go in and watch the end of the games and stuff but we weren't really there for the the football games we were there for the beer and the chicks and you know just hanging out but we'd drive up from sterling and, and hang out there for a while so could you buy a keg at the stadium and then drink it in the stadium like you know, I don't, think, I don't think so. I mean, it was mostly, you know, because they that's how they made money. So the so what when I was in Colorado, in my younger days as a teenager and pre-adult, the drinking age was still 18. So when I went to college in Sterling, we used to go to the bar and drink. It was, eight, it was, you know, it, it was 3-2 beer, you know, yeah. but we were still, we, we would still drink. We could still drink legally. Well, and then growing up out in, uh, you know, out east of Colorado Springs, there were, I mean, everything was just so different. You know, we had fake IDs. I was 16 years old going into, you know, a, a, a little place in Rama, Colorado and huh. buying yeah. a case of beer, mm -hmm. you know, flashing a fake ID. And they didn't care. They just wanted to make money. Yeah. You know, but we didn't go out and, and kill people and hurt people and do stupid stuff. I mean, we'd go out to the, the woods and start a bonfire and just hang out and, you know, shoot the crap and. Again, try to you know pick up girls and stuff. We, we weren't out like you know stealing and and causing problems. And I mean, we didn't get to the point where you couldn't drive or anything like that. Sometimes people did, but we we cruise the you know in the town, driving up and down roads and stuff in our trucks. And and we had one police officer there, and when he got tired of seeing us, he'd pull us over and say, "Time to go home." Okay. Okay, sir. We weren't hurting anybody. 
But I'm sure, you know, in a small town like that, he was tired of, <laughs> he's like, I'm ready to go to bed. These people need to go home. Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Yeah, it, I mean, we weren't causing any trouble or anything. You know, we'd eventually make our way over to the parking lot at the fairgrounds and do some donuts in our trucks and stuff, but we, like we weren't, you know, out, you know, vandalizing buildings and stealing gas or, or anything like that. We are cruising around with our girlfriends and talking on our CB radios and, you know, having fun. And then when he got tired of it, like I said, he'd pull you over and say, it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. And we went home. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, things can work. <laughs> yeah, and, and we didn't, like, rebel. It's not like we were like, oh, well, he can't tell us what to do. We just went home. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was usually 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, he'd put up with us for as long as he felt like that night. And, you know... Most of the time, our parents wanted us home anyway. Well, yeah. So we took our ass home. Nothing wrong with that. It's amazing how much the things have changed. It is amazing. And Colorado was one of the the last states to uh, do away with 18-year-old drinking age, and the only reason they did was because the federal government threatened to take away their highway funds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, Coors, Coors being as big as it is in that state, you know, they, they started to lose, you know, that cost them money. But I don't remember, um, I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but I don't remember there being a lot of uh, DUIs and, and accidents. Not not with the people that I was hanging out with and, and out where we lived. You know, if that happened in other places. I mean, there were strip clubs that we could get into. You remember the old Peppermint Lounge? Peppermint <laughs> Lounge? No. It was on uh, South Nevada. I used to go in there all the time. <laughs> me, and wow. some friend, me and some friends. I have no idea. Um, well, it's that sort of uh, DUI stuff was always way worse in the cities. So yeah, for sure. And it's it's another case, just like the gun case, where people in the cities see a need to do something about X and therefore they want it, even though it's only a problem there. Yeah. You know, the 90% of the rest of the state, it's completely irrelevant. Well, here's an interesting story and I know we were going to wrap it up. I'm wondering though, I, I don't remember when, Colorado went to 21, but I do remember Vietnam and one of the arguments against the draft being, if you're not allowed to drink at 18 and not allowed to vote at 18, 
then why should you be drafted and fight and die in a war? And I don't disagree with that at all. At 18. Yeah, and I don't either. I think if, you know, if we're going to decide the age of majority is X, then that's what it is for everything. But doesn't that show you so, that our government doesn't give two shits about young people? I mean, we always have to hear about the women and children, and I heard about that over this Israel thing and and Ukraine and all that stuff. It's not like they're the only people that are dying. And unfortunately, in war, people die. I'm not trying to well, be unsympathetic or, or whatever. But and Yeah, but, the, the culture in especially Arab countries, is that they they get the women and children involved in the conflicts. Right. Especially the kids. They'll carry those uh, explosive vests. And they'll carry weapons from this guy to that guy. And they're just as dangerous as, the, as Ahmed, who's running around with his AK-47. Yeah. So they can call them uh, innocent civilians if they want to, but they're not necessarily innocent civilians. Well, but what so, I'm saying, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, you know, this new stuff where you you can't buy tobacco products unless you're 21. But here, let me put this M16 in your hand, and I'm going to send you overseas, and you're going to go fight. I mean. I, they're half-assing it, which shows mm -hmm. that they don't care. If if they could put if they can put boots on the ground in in a war that they they deem necessary for in the name of national security and our best interest, but that same person can't buy a beer or a cigarette or whatever they want to do because it's their body, their choice. Oh, but they're they're not really adults until they're twenty one. But you're handing a child then then you, aren't you handing a child a weapon? And and is that for the the safety of the United States or is it for your safety? Mm -hmm. That's where the question for me comes in. It's like, you know, they uh, the government was toying with the idea of. Um, the draft and would women be included in the draft well you want women to be included in everything that's what that's what feminism and what the the women's rights movement movement was all about you you wanted to be treated fairly you want equal pay you want all that stuff but then there were some parents and some people in in government and members of our society that said, we don't want our daughters on the front lines. Well, you can't have it both ways. I have one daughter. One. Do I want her drafted? No. But if you're going to implement the draft, and if you want equal rights, then you have to take equal rights also along with uh, equal treatment in the aspect of you can't be exempt from the draft because you're a female. Not if you want all the equality. I mean, I, I, I used to listen to some talk radio when I drove, you know, for my last uh, employer, and I drove a lot. 
And that was one of the things that I heard on uh, a show. And some some fathers called in and said, "I don't. The draft shouldn't pertain to my daughter." And then women calling in, I don't want to be drafted. I, I, I don't think I should be fighting in a war. And not all of them are like, there's a lot of women in our armed forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of women who go to combat. But the well, point, they're really good at it, too. Yeah. But the point is, is that you, you want equal treatment, but then you really don't. And you can't have it both ways. Well, I, I know you're not a big fan of Facebook, and neither am I. I just hold my nose and participate because I'm pretty antisocial as it is. So I'm trying. To, I try to be social. I'm just not very good at it. But at any rate, I remember this this last snowstorm that happened, and I guess it was Colorado Springs, and uh, someone who we both know posted something on there about how wonderful and amazing and blah, blah, blah her neighbors are because they came out and uh, they uh, snow plowed. No, no, they did the snowblower mm-hmm. on her driveway. How, how wonderful. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, wait a second, you're a modern feminist here. Why, why didn't you do it yourself? Yeah. Why is it so amazing? And, you know, it's the, it's the uh, getting to choose whether you're a modern independent woman who is a feminazi uh, Marxist and then when you're a lady who doesn't do such things, you know? Mm. And she's definitely one of those who is, is a, it's a matter of convenience of oh well i i just don't shovel my driver it just it's beneath me you know that's just women are not supposed to do that <laughs> and yet you know the neighbors are are you know so amazing because they will do that for her and i think to myself well are are you going to do their driveway next time no she's never going to do her own driveway either so she just feels good about uh, complimenting them and uh, et cetera, while she never has to do it, first of all. And there are a lot of uh, feminists like that. But you know, personally, I just don't think uh, a military draft in this country uh, ought to ever happen again. If it, if it does, it ought to be very limited and only to the uh, people who vote for the war. In other words, only the politicians involved in voting get drafted. Uh, not even their kids. So if Joe Biden wants to have a, a war, then he gets drafted. Uh, all 535 people in the House and the Senate and then the president and vice president, they all get to go off to war. We can live without them for however long it's needed. 
how about we only do that? No one else uh, gets drafted. You know, I think we'll be less likely to get involved in armed conflict, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to stop it. You know, we wouldn't even need army people anymore. They do such a good job of making sure we didn't need the military, you know? Yeah. But uh, otherwise, I don't think the average citizen ought to ever have to be uh, concerned about being drafted ever again. Just sorry. You know, we all know that technology's progressed to the point where the, the national point of view and the Pentagon's point of view is that you know, you're going to win or lose based on your technology. And the people in the military are important for going in and cleaning up cities and doing one-on-one -on -one activities, but they're not concerned about it. And they don't care about yeah. the, the troops at all. You know, they just don't. So no, but my stance is, and I think I've mentioned to you before when it comes to the military is those who drop out of high school or those who graduate from high school who don't have, you know, plans to go to a trade school or college or, or have any kind of, uh, idea of, you know, where they want to work or anything like that. I think that that all should have a do do a mandatory two years minimum. Make it three, call it a draft, call it what you will, but we have a lot of young people who who are dropping out of school and, and who don't have any direction and don't have any clue of what they're doing. Um, it's a good way to learn a, a trade. Um, you know, there's plenty of jobs. I mean, you could become an MP, you could become... Uh, you know, an air traffic controller, whatever, that there's a lot of opportunity to get that training and make some money at the same time and, and only for a couple of years and then be able to go out and go into the real world and, and do something productive. Um, there's a lot of countries that do that. And you don't necessarily... Like Germany, I think, has a... They used to, at least... Um, that you had to be in the military for a mandatory two or three years. And you didn't have to do it, like, right away. You, you just had to do it sometime before a certain age. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't either. I just don't think those people ought to have to be serving in combat. No, I, maybe uh, not. Maybe there's some different, don't. yeah, maybe there's some different, you know... Um, exceptions to that and I get what you're saying but they have to go through basic training and they have to go through AIT and all the other stuff uh, get to their permanent duty station that's why I'm, I'm not sure about two years because you know sometimes if you're it, like if you're going to go to California and become a linguist I mean you're in school for a long time well, yeah, there's a, there's a, yeah, I don't want to try to 
get too in in the weeds on it. I just I don't disagree with your point. Uh, in fact, I agree with it. And I, and I don't have a problem even with saying that you can substitute some other activity. Um, you know, being a Peace Corps volunteer. But, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have a problem with that either. It's just everyone ought to have to serve in the in something that is bigger than themselves. Yeah. Uh, at, by the time they are out of high school or soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the whole point is they're exposed to something that's bigger than they are. Um, something about the world that gives them perspective, it gives them training. They can make a, a positive contribution. They can uh, get all kinds of things out of that or maybe nothing. I don't know. Um, but uh, I just have a real problem with forcing people into military service and then forcing them to get shot at. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I just, I just don't think that's good or forcing them to shoot at people. Right. I think for getting them into something where they're having to learn how to build runways or maintain equipment or keep track of equipment or accounting, you know, basic learning the books, uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's always a need for support personnel. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a conscientious objector. And and so with what you're saying, that doesn't mean that there's not something that that person can't do. Exactly. In, in exactly. an administrative position, uh, uh, you know, engineering, uh, you know, whatever. If we're having, if we're losing uh, or not reaching recruitment goals by 30,000 plus, um, you have to do something. And, and I get it. We'll never, we'll probably never see another conventional war as, as we know it. But we still need people, you know, for for cybersecurity and for you know IT and and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, let's face it. Uh, eventually, manned fighter jets—they're not gonna—they're not gonna be manned anymore. You know, we already are are seeing uh, unmanned drones and all this other stuff. They're being operated from you know, a a safe place somewhere on, you know, behind the lines. They could be people like that, you know, to where they don't have to engage in combat. Um, But but more so, it teaches you discipline. It teaches you how to take care of yourself. Uh, And and let's be honest, a lot of the younger generation doesn't even know how how to run a washing machine or something other than an air fryer. Uh, you know, they're, they're eating TV dinners because they don't know how to, you know, follow a recipe. Mm-hmm. So what would you, what would you have to lose? Like you were saying, if, 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 if there's a provision that says they don't, they don't have to go to combat, then they're learning a whole heck of a lot of stuff. And mainly for me, 
the discipline aspect of it and the, the self-accountability and responsibility is priceless. Well, yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether it happens or not, I, I don't know. I, I don't you know. know I, it. I called into a radio station and, and mentioned that one time to, to the host, and a lot of people followed up behind me and said that was a great idea. But I'm sure there were some others that, that didn't think, you know, that, like you, forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do. Well, I mean, we've had the draft, uh, and that's pretty much the same thing. But we're talking about something completely different. You know, if you're, yes. if you're saying, hey, they don't have to see combat. We already have combat soldiers. We, we don't need infantry and, you know, tankers and all that other stuff. We need people to fill these other positions. And in the meantime, they get these benefits. GI Bill, along with, you know, how to take care of themselves. There's, there's so many things. There's so many pros to it than there are cons. In, in my opinion, obviously this is my opinion, um, that why not? Yeah, public service of some kind. Um, I mean, if I gave, if I supported the UN at all, I'd say all over, go, go do something in the UN, sign up there, or sign up with Peace Corps, or sign up with Red Cross, or whatever, but something bigger than yourself. Um, but yeah, military, there, there's something about whether people like the military or not, there's something about the fact that there's a discipline to it. And, uh, you know, I, I must admit I wouldn't be big on that, but uh, that's okay. I could do it for two or three years and I might even learn something from that much as I hate having someone else tell me what to do. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, is that if you're going to be as rebellious as I am, then you have to be no more than the person who you're rebelling against. Mm -hmm. That's what I always looked at was uh, if I am just rebelling because I want to, that's very immature because the odds are that an adult knows more about something than I do as a 20 year old. And that's important for a 20 year old to do You're right. is to learn that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, I might not like doing 20 push-ups or whatever, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's one at of some the... Point in, some point in time, I'm going to learn to shave better and, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. And, you know, it, it just it, it shifts things for you in a way that you just can't necessarily learn on your own. And in a way that everyone else is going through the same thing, or did go, even your parents had to go through it. And it got, kind of gives the everyone a commonality that, um, you know, yeah, everyone got embarrassed about something. It's not just you. Yeah. So, you know, get over it. And we don't, we don't have that now. 
it's it's part of the pains of growing up and uh, you know learn some discipline learn learn to be really good at something learn to give a crap about something or else you have to do push-ups yeah so you know it's there's nothing wrong with that um it's just like i say if, if you're gonna re- be rebellious like me you darn well better know more than the person you're rebelling against otherwise you're just a fool so uh, but it took a lot for me to learn that <laughs> Well, my old alma mater, uh, my old high school, made the national news. Um, and they have a, uh, they started a class to train teenagers to answer emergency calls to assist in the shortage of 911 dispatchers. So they started it this year. Now, it's a good idea. However, I don't know if I want a 15, 16-year-old answering a phone call trying to talk somebody down from the ledge. Uh, number one, w- what are they going to do? Number two, what's the, the, long, uh, the, the long-lasting uh, you know, trauma for someone that young? Mm-hmm. But they're trying to teach them for possible, you know, job placement and stuff after they get out of high school that they may want to get into, you know, that kind of uh, job. So I, I, I get the meaning and the intention. But I'm not sure that, uh, you know, just because there's a shortage that you start recruiting teenagers uh, to start fielding 911 calls. Yeah, then you get... People like me and my friends as a teenager would be like, well, no one cares anyway. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? You know? Why are you calling me for? All right. If you want to kill yourself, then do it. You know? Yeah. I'll give you 20 minutes. Even if someone calls and says, hey, you know, I'm on the side of the road with my wife, and and we thought we were going to make it to the hospital, and she's, uh, you know, she's in labor, and and baby's head's poking out. I mean, that person on the other end of the line needs to know a little something. I know that they're probably just going to, hey, stay on the line, I'll, you know, keep talking to me. An ambulance is on its way. Most, uh, probably none of 9-1 dispatchers are nurses and doctors and gynecologists or, you know, psychologists or any of that kind of thing. I, I don't know what the uh, uh, qualifications are to be a 9 dispatcher, uh, but I'm sure you've got to know a little bit about some of those things and, and you know, have some sort of training uh, but the, the sad part about it is, is why is there a shortage of 911 dispatchers? Well, exactly. It's, it's, this, it's just like the military. Why so instead there, of, yeah, instead uh, of sitting yeah. here and bashing, you know, them trying to do something good, which is not what I'm, I'm, my intention is. But, but why do we have a shortage of dispatchers? 
Why does Louisiana governor have to declare a state of emergency? Because they don't have enough police officers. You know, what, what's behind all of this? Yeah, who caused that problem? Yeah. And have they paid for it? <sighs> Don't get me started because we can talk another hour that there's no accountability. There's no, nobody takes responsibility for anything anymore. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, I guess we're for full circle now from where we began with nobody cares about it, uh, their fellow citizen anymore and they'll just step over their body. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't imagine that that 911 dispatchers are paid the most amount of money. Um, but it's really, is it really that hard of a job? It's not physically taxing. It's probably mentally taxing. Uh, you and I know a, a lot of police officers that, that quit for a while because they were burnt out. Yeah. And, and ended up eventually going back, but it's not because of the, it's not because of the physical part, it's because of the mental part. You know, I mean, how many dead bodies and suicides and domestic violence, how, how much of that can you take before you go, man, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. You never forget the first one. I'm sure you don't. I mean, you know, I, I, Fortunately, I, I never saw combat. Came close. Uh, but I know a lot of people and friends and acquaintances that have, and they're just not the same. Whether it's, it, it's you're fighting for your life and, and defending your own life, it's still not the same. Mm -hmm. It's something that you had to do, not something that you want, wanted to do. Well, that's for sure, and that has a lot to do with why I don't think we should thrust that experience on someone. But but our and government is willing to do that. They, they, I mean, yeah. I, I and I get it's voluntary. You know, when I signed up and and raised my right hand and swore the oath, it was all voluntary. Nobody forced me to do that. There was no draft. There was no hey mandatory you know, my idea of a mandatory service. There was none of that. So I knew what I was getting myself into. And that that I had the potential to be shot and killed or blown up and killed and, and pieces are, you know, there's a casket, but there's no body in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I get all that. But I, I voluntarily signed up and, and understood what the, the consequences may be. And if, it, you know, if you don't have any conscious or, 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 or conscience or, uh, you know, you're, you don't have any fear or you don't have any problem killing someone, whether, whether or not, you know, they're the enemy, you, you got some problems. I mean, you're probably John Wayne Gacy or something. It has no... John, John Wayne Bobbitt? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh. Well, we better stop there. I'm obviously going silly here. Yeah, me too. Uh, so anyway, um, 
Excuse me a second. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Um, today is Thursday, the 22nd. I'd, I'd say Gesundheit, but then people would call me a Nazi. Oh, yeah, right. That's why I never speak in German. You know, because I'm, I'm a straight white male, and if I did that, I'd that just add to the MAGA extremist and uh, some odd reason I'd be a Nazi. Well, I'm all for make America free. Yeah, I I don't know that uh, that make America great is is the right terminology to use. I think make America free is uh is more it's more important to me than making it great i i i not that i don't want it great um i and, think it'll be great again if we're free exactly it's a good point so we will but see i don't think i don't think we can say free again because I, the country was never totally free right it was just an ideal. Well, and that's why I didn't say make America great again. We were on the verge of being great, but we never re really got there. But when has America ever really been great? Name a time. Can you? Well, I can definitely name times when it was better. Well, I... So we have individual times in our life where things were yeah. great. Right. But if we're, if we're really serious about inclusiveness and, and uh, having equity for everyone, when has America ever really been great for everyone? Well, that's the thing, is defining... Does it have to be great for everyone? Because as a free, as a as well, a no, great because country, some people don't deserve greatness. Well, the country really did come to great or rise to greatness in the eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds. It was quite fascinating, actually, the transition the country went through. But was it? Great for everyone. Was that the? No. Uh, are you referring to like the industrial revolution and stuff? Well, yeah, uh, but but also becoming a world power. Um, a lot of things transitioned in this country. Uh, you know, great. Well, it became one of the greatest countries in the world. I mean, arguably. <clears throat> Uh, was it great for everyone? No, but, you know, as, as far as other countries to live in, my God, look at, look at who was involved in all of the wars. I mean, would you really want to be a German in those days? <laughs> Canadian, or, yeah, French. Even French, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, there was a lot going on, I think. I think we need to be honest and and give ourselves credit where credit's due. No, and I yeah. don't want to come across as like I am I am like 
all, I am America first. I am 100% American. And I am a huge patriot. But the point I was trying to make is, is that w define great. Mm -hmm. And have we ever been at that point? I mean, everybody's version of great is different. But if everybody had greatness, then we would all know that what, what that means, right? I mean, I've had mm -hmm. times in my life where it's just been great. Yeah. Great times, great fun, great economic, uh, you know, points in my life, and then at some points, not so much. Mm-hmm. But it, but if you're thinking if you're thinking along the lines of making America great, then it's a consistent greatness. It's not a week or a month or four years. You know, it's not it's not Republican, Democrat, or mm -hmm. whatever. It's just great across it's the board. Permanent, permanent, and for everyone. Yes. Which, which I think has more to do with freedom. And I think and it's you're 100% accurate. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think that there's any argument that can be made about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so we'll see you Tuesday next week. Yeah. Have a good Adios. weekend. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>